Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Slap shot on. Rebound. They score. Brandon Saad. With Saad. Two on two. Into the zone. Saad to Shen. They score. Brandon Shen. Bring out the Zamboni. 36 saves shot out. And the best goalie performance of the year to Thomas Grice. And the Blues get the victory over the Minnesota Wild here tonight. That's what it sounded like last night as the Blues get another victory alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kiley. Three nothing on the road in Minnesota. They finish the road trip, Alex, with a three and one record despite having to go over and back across the border four separate times. The travel was not too much for them. We'll get to Saturday's game here in just a little bit, but let's stay on the positive side for a moment because it was yet again another impressive performance by the Blues. And Alex, it's the veterans that are coming up big. Earlier today, JR had a great piece over in The Athletic about what the sod and shin line has done during this stretch of games, especially without Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly in the lineup. You can throw in Pavel Buchnevich and Robert Thomas into that mix. We've talked a lot about what Jordan Cairo has been for this team ever since the first couple of weeks of the season. And then last night, you look at the defensive side of things as well. It's Colton Pareko and Justin Falk basically carrying the entirety of the load for your team. And you go on the road against a quality opponent in Minnesota and you're able to get a shutout with Thomas Grice in net. The guy that we were worried about in this back to back stretch. I, I continue to not know what to do with the St. Louis Blues, but I will sit here today and say, man, it's impressive what they've done, especially on that road trip where you get wins against Toronto, New Jersey or Minnesota. That's nothing to turn your nose up at. Well, and just look at the last two road trips that they've gone through. I mean, you had the one that was the Western Canada road trip and what you picked up three victories. You went three, one and one on that road trip. So points in four of those five. And then in this one, you go three and one and you beat three opponents that I didn't think you were going to get victories against three. If you would have told me you were getting three wins, I would have had Montreal and then two other For victories sure. in that. So, but beating Toronto, beating New Jersey and beating Minnesota, that's impressive. And, and look, it, it is the Saad Shen Barbashev line, or as I have deemed it, the oh, Barbashad line. That's better. The Barbashad oh, line. On. That's not that Barba, much better. I would Shen, give him credit. That's a little better. Saad, you guys got it. And I get to nickname them because they I had, at least understood it before he had to explain it, which makes it better than the alternative for some of mine have been that way. Yeah. They're all, all, mine they're that all way. typically bad. They're all understandable. Like I don't one. know why we're arguing with this right now. But the Barbashad line, nine goals and 16 points in four games. And it was steamrolled by Brandon Saad. I mean, five goals for Brandon Saad in four games. This was a player 
that you you went in stretches with him this season because he was injured at the beginning of the year and you weren't winning games and you're thinking, man, is Brandon Saad that impactful to this team? He returns. They start winning. I, In fact, I think they went on that win streak when he returned to the lineup. Now, he might not have been setting the world on fire when he came back, but it's a player that adds into the system for St. Louis. But this stretch right here is courtesy of Doug Armstrong calling he and Br- Braden Chen out. Doug Armstrong essentially said on this road trip when we found out that Noah Riley and Tarasenko for the next four to six weeks, we need these guys to step up. How do they answer? Brandon Saad with 12 points in four games on this road trip. And to me, this is massive because with the uncertainty of O'Reilly, with the uncertainty of Vladdy, with the uncertainty of Ivan Barbashev, you're looking at the core you have in place. And for the longest time, we've been saying it's Thomas Kyrou and Buchnevich. And it is because those are your top lines. But what if part of that is also they've got Brandon Saad and Braden Shen who are going to be not the faces, but the leaders of that group of players, that group that is going into a new window. And to me, they just proved it on this road trip when they needed them the most. They stepped up. I want to get back to Brandon Saad for a minute, and then I want to get to what you were just mentioning about them getting back on track uh, for, for the team in general. Brandon Saad is a back of the baseball card type of player where you know every year exactly what he's going to give to you. And it might go about in different ways, right? I think in a lot of ways that Paul Goldschmidt is this player. It's to different varying degrees, but you kind of always know what Paul Goldschmidt's going to give you. It could start slow and then it ends well. It could start good and then end poorly. You're going to have ups and downs along the way, but you know by the end of the season what Paul Goldschmidt's going to give you. He's going to give you a 290 batting average. He's going to hit his 25-plus home runs. He's going to get 100 ribbies. Same thing is true for Nolan Arenado in most season. Going to give you 30 home runs, 100 RBI. He's going to be right around that 270-plus batting average. With Brandon Saad, we know what he's going to be. It's been a weird season. Last year was a weird year. It didn't go about it the way that we expected it to, but basically every season of his career, he's somewhere between 20 to 25 goals, and he's somewhere between like 45 to 55 points. And he starts off the season with no assists. He's selfish. And then he starts finding ways to pass it's the weird. puck. I, I don't know how he does it. Like it, it goes about in strange spurts, but he's a guy that you know exactly what you're going to get from him. And guess what he's on pace for right now? You look at the back of, in this case, the hockey card once again, and he is now on pace for 26 goals. So far, just 10 assists. That's going to change. He'll get some more assists as we go along throughout the season. He's going to probably get you 50 points again this year. Brandon Saad is exactly the player that they signed him to be. And sometimes it does feel like he's floating in and out of games. It doesn't feel like he's having as much of an impact on that respective game as you would like to see. But Saad is like a second to third. He's a middle six forward on a quality hockey team. He contributes to winning in meaningful ways. And after you get through the 82 game season... Almost every year, he's going to get you those 20 to 25 goals. Well, look at who he was with the Colorado Avalanche a couple of seasons ago. I mean, he was a third-line winger, but he was a guy that you're looking at and saying, damn, if they have him on their third line, how deep is that team? Exactly. That's what the Blues had with Brandon Saad last year. And now, with no David Perron and you starting to look at other players, he's thrust into a position where you need him to be more successful and more noticeable. And let's be let's be real with this. Your penalty kill was awful until they started to give more ice time to Brandon Saad. And then him and Pavel Buchnevich have taken a power play mindset to the penalty kill. Yeah. It's shocking. They're like, scoring I, goals. I don't like, understand what's going on there. 
And what's so weird about it is you can look at the ice time with Brandon Saad and like he's got you can't sit here and say, well, they're just not playing him enough. No, I mean, at the first chunk of the season, he was playing 17, 18, 19 minutes a night. Well, he was up there with O'Reilly there for a little while. Yeah. Wasn't it O'Reilly, Cairo and, and uh, no, it was. Well, yeah, but then it was Saad, O'Reilly and Levo sure. that they were contributing with. But all it is with Brandon Saad is when you lose somebody that you depend on and Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko you got to know that that safety net is there. And Brandon Saad and Braden Shen are those safety nets. But now, if you're Doug Armstrong, I think you're looking at it and saying, well, we don't need you to be safety nets anymore. We need you to be leaders on this team. And and at least for me, they did that in this four-game road trip when you absolutely needed them to. Is it a little bit of the passing of the torch in your mind? I think so. I think it's a, I think it's a breath of fresh air, too. Because, let's be real, it's a little nerve-wracking knowing that Thomas and Kairou are going to be taking the place of O'Reilly and Perron and Tarasenko next season if these guys aren't back because they're still young. And Joey and I talked about this on pregame last night. This is the growing pains of young forwards. I mean, both of these guys are under the age of 24 years old. Like, they're nowhere even near their prime. You're going to have bad games. You're going to have good games. The New Jersey Devils have gone through this for the last four or five seasons. But to know that if you don't re-sign O'Reilly and don't re-sign Vladimir Tarasenko to know that you've got a Braden Shen who's going to put up 70 points in a season if he stays healthy, Brandon Saad who's going to give you 50 to 60 points, that's relieving knowing that I have those guys because if not and all I'm relying on is Thomas Kyrou and Buchnevich, that's what you call a rebuild. This is an opportunity for you to retool if the season doesn't go well. So that's the behind the scenes. Now let's look at where the Blues are at currently. Here's what Craig Berube had to say last night on his thoughts about the Blues win against the Wild, where this team's at right now. You know, I thought two periods were really good. <clears throat> we gave up 12, 13 shots after two, but third period, you know, they come at us hard, but we hung in there and did a good job and obviously did a real good job with the goalie out and the penalty. It was a solid win. A solid win overall. I I looked after the game because I felt like they gave up too many high danger chances. And then uh, natural stat trick and money puck both said, hey, four to five uh, high danger chances total for the Minnesota Wild Wild in that game. It's like, OK, well, they had one in the third period. My eyes were deceiving me. I was wrong. <laughs> me too. They, they played better than I expected. Uh, that was a game that you not only won, but you deserved to win. Uh, you end up getting the empty netter at the end. Three nothing. It's one of the best overall games, I would say, of the NHL season for the Blues. And so now you look at where they're at. They have 43 points uh, since December 6th. You're like five weeks there. It's pretty damn good, man. You look around the NHL, specifically in the Western Conference, you have the same amount of points uh, now that uh, the Colorado Avalanche do. You've got three more games played than they do, but in the standings, you're you're doing all right. What what do we make of this team right now, Alex? What am I supposed to make of them? 2019 reincarnated, right? Stanley Cup, here we come. They could play defense back then. Do you believe what we're watching? I hate you. (laughs) That's the thing. Yes and no. Like, welcome to sitting on the fence with BK and Ferrario. It's our thing, man. Like, I I do believe it. Like, how can you not believe in a team that has picked up victories against the Toronto Maple Leafs and New Jersey Devils and Minnesota Wild? And then prior to that, you went on a five-game Western road trip and you picked up points in four of those five. How can you not believe in that team? But as it has been all season long, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. I said this last night on postgame. When I watch this Blues team and they're picking up these victories, it's like, yeah, they're picking up points. 
but look at how they're picking up points. I mean, Curbs even listed it off while Thomas Grice was putting on a clinic in the third period. It's like, oh, it feels like the Vancouver Canucks game where the goaltender had to steal the game in the third. And then he goes, and the Colorado game, and the Vegas game, and the other Minnesota. Like, that's what this team has been. Their success is dictated off of their goaltender stealing the hockey game for them. And last night proved it. But why you're a little bit more optimistic is like the Blues were invested. They forechecked hard. They played smart defensively despite giving up 23 shots on goal. And they were putting their body on the line for the other player. They had 25 blocked shots in that game. That's a recipe for wins. The problem is they do that in one game. And then the next game, you'll get a Montreal Canadiens done. And then the next game, you get another Minnesota game. And then you get another Montreal game. Like, it's just way too up and down. But when you pick up points in 11 of your last 15 games, it's hard to deny it. I don't know about you, but BK, actually, I probably do know BK's answer. But I, I still lean towards I'm not buying into what I've been seeing. Because, yes, the offense has been one of the best during this stretch, if not the best. But they're still giving up goals at an unbelievable rate. They are basically playing the style of hockey that I said a couple weeks ago. The way they have to win is just outscore their opponent and outscore them in terms of 5-4, to 4-3. Four, four to three. I know they put on a defensive clinic last night. But they were outshot heavily in the third period. They, I felt like for a while that was just a, okay, let's wait until the goaltender breaks and they're going to come through and Minnesota's going to win that game. I I still see some of the same issues that I saw early in the year. Turnovers, lack of carrying of the puck, getting beat back door, allowing easy opportunities, allowing high goal-scoring opportunities or high-danger-scoring opportunities for your opponent. I, I don't think they can continue to win at the rate that they are right now, where it is we basically have to win most of our games five to four, four to three. That does not seem sustainable. And also the five on five scoring has suddenly picked things up from where it was at the beginning of the year. So I buy into more of they're more of the team they were in the beginning of the year still than I'm buying into what I'm seeing right now from the St. Louis Blues. Last 14 games, you've had points in 11 of them. Those points include or those games include points against the Avs, the Predators, the Oilers, the Flames, the Vegas Golden Knights, Toronto times two, New Jersey, and Minnesota. At some point, don't I have to start believing that what we're watching is real? They're doing everything we asked them to do. I said going into the month of January, I got to see you do this consistently against quality opponents. Well, they've done that. Like at some point, I have to believe that this is the team that we're watching. And you're right. They are asking their goalies to win games for them. And guess what? They've been up to the task. Like at there comes a certain point in time, Minnesota, um, Dallas. Is Dallas a great hockey team, Alex? Like, do you think they are a truly special team? No, because I think their only great teams in the NHL this season are Boston and Vegas. Their best asset is their goaltending, mm-hmm. right? And so you look at the Blues, and you're going to look at the numbers, and we'll talk to Greg Wachinski, and he'll be like, "Yeah, you know, Jordan Bennington, based on the numbers, aren't very." Good. Jordan Bennington's been great for the St. Louis Blues this season. I argue an All Star. And I love Greg Wyshynski. That that wasn't well. You made fun him. of his voice, but that's uh, what Alex does to me. So I assume that it's, it's a, all out of good love. nature. It's all out of love. I'm not saying the Blues are about to go out there and win the Stanley Cup. Like I'm not saying this is 2019 all over again because I don't believe that at all. Can this team make a run to the playoffs though? Can they find a way in because the West is down this year? Yeah, I think that's possible. I think they could sneak into that last wild card spot. 
and it's not so much a statement in favor of the Blues as it is a statement against the Western Conference right now. So we'll talk more about that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Plenty to get into with the St. Louis Blues coming off of what was overall, I would say, a successful weekend for the Blues. If you guys want to get involved, the Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. Once again, that is 314-399-9646. We'll get to questions and answers coming up at 1145. But Alex, coming up next. The Dallas Cowboys are going through it right now. It continued yesterday, despite the fact that they played their starters for most of that game against the Washington Commanders, who had nothing to play for. The Cowboys about to be in for a rude awakening on the road at Tampa. We'll talk about that and how it plays into the NFC's playoff mix next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You are a team that is undisciplined. You are a team that has seemed unprofessional in its preparation. And so now you got to go into that game and what is going to be probably the highest pressure cooker of any team in the entire league and try to beat the greatest of all time. That's a very tough sell for the Dallas Cowboys. That was Ryan Clark on ESPN earlier today talking about the Dallas Cowboys. He's putting them on way too early upset alert alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I want to open things up with the Cowboys that we can expand this conversation to really the NFL's playoff field in general this year. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are 12 and five this season. They had moments where they looked like maybe they would be the best team in the NFC. They had a real chance to become that. And then for whatever reason down the stretch, despite the win against the Philadelphia Eagles, it feels like they're sputtering going into the playoffs. And if you looked at any of the comments yesterday coming off of the game, Dak Prescott talked about how uh, for some reason the offense just isn't clicking right now. Mike McCarthy said the same thing. They had some defensive players that said, yeah, we're just not playing our best football going into the playoffs. They lose on the road yesterday, 26 to six in Washington. And now you look at the first round of the playoffs and they're matched up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think anybody's going to pretend or sit here and tell you that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are some great team. Monday night, the Cowboys are a three-point favorite on the road. Are the Cowboys on upset alert based on the way that they finished out the season in your mind, Alex? I don't think so because as much as you look at it, and yeah, they have been scuffling down the stretch. I mean, you go to that Jaguars game that they lost in overtime, the Eagles game that they won but still gave up 34 points, and even that Titans game where they really didn't run away with it where their starters weren't playing – I look at that Commanders game last night and I say it was the final game of the season where it really didn't ha- didn't have much implications for the Cowboys. So you're probably going to lay a dud in that one. It, should they be nervous going into a game against Tampa Bay? Probably because it's Tom Brady on the other side. But Tampa Bay has just not been a good team this season. And I think when push comes to shove, when you're in a win or lose situation in terms of being eliminated... I would side with the Cowboys because they've just got better playmakers than Tampa. So I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl as much as I thought probably five weeks ago because I thought this team was dominant. They've obviously showed us differently, but I'm not sitting here thinking Tampa's winning that game. I would play all of my bets on the Cowboys winning that one. See, I, I think they should be put on upset watch because because of their scuffling. And you look at Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has not been very impressive over his last seven games. He's thrown an interception in his last seven, tying a new uh, 
career high for him in terms of games straight with a interception. And he's only averaging 246 yards through the air in those seven games. So to me, it's all about the quarterback play. And Dak has not looked that good, in my opinion, in the last seven games. Plus, you add on top of that, the defense that you mentioned has been scuffling. And I agree, Tampa Bay is not a team that like I look at on paper and go, oh, yeah, I, I'd be real fearful of them. But it's Tom, it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to raise his game to the next level. And we saw what he did against Carolina. And look, I understand Carolina's not a good football did you team. you say what we saw against he did against I know, Carolina? But look at what they did. They were able to pick apart the Carolina Panthers. And I and I expect with Sam Mike Darnold. Evans, I no, the defense, oh, okay. which has Brian Burns on it. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that Tom Brady gives them a legitimate shot to try and go or host, hosting the Dallas Cowboys and take them down. So I, I think they are an upset watch. I, I am leaning towards taking Tampa Bay in this one. Look at what they've done this year against playoff teams. And just look at the the Cowboys record this year against opposing teams that are expected or will make the playoffs. They lost in week one against Tampa Bay, 19 to three. They ended up beating Cincinnati in week two, 20 to 17. That was with Cooper Rush as their quarterback. Weird game. Uh, You can't really take anything from that. But then when you go back to uh, what they've done since Dak Prescott has returned against quality opponents, crushed Minnesota. We all remember that game. That was the game where everybody was like, okay, Minnesota's Minnesota's for odds. Like they're, they're not the real, real deal. And we'll talk about them here in a minute. Barely beat New York at home, ended up losing on the road at Jacksonville in overtime, beat Philly, but in a close game against a Gardner Minshew led uh, Philadelphia team. And that's it, man. They just haven't really played against quality opponents over the last 10 to 12 weeks this year. It's been mostly against poor opponents, so I do wonder what they're going to react to when they go on the road. And it's not like Tampa, some hostile environment, but on the road in Tampa Bay. And I look at history to guide what I think the future is going to be. You look at the last three teams that ended up being in this spot that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in right now. Teams that were below 500 that won their division. And as a result of that, got to host the wild card round. The 2020 commanders gave the Bucks a scare. 2014. Guys, remember the Panthers team that ended up winning 27 to 16 against the Arizona Cardinals? That happened. 2010, you guys remember uh, Beast Mode? Oh, yeah. It's like the moment of Marshawn Lynch's career where they're 7 and 9. They're hosting the New Orleans Saints at home, and he has that run that ends up propelling their quote unquote dynasty, if you want to call it that, their run in Seattle. They win that game 41 to 36 at home against New Orleans. So, it would not be the first time that something like this has taken place in the NFL. Uh, of the last three teams in the last 30 years that won their division, despite going below 500, two of them ended up winning. This would be the third time out of the last four. I will be taking Dallas to win. It should not surprise anybody, though, if Tampa Bay wins this one based on the way that the Cowboys have been playing of late. I would also add this, Alex. I think that's a blanket statement you could make for these playoffs in general. <laughs> It feels more wide open than it has in quite a while. Especially in the NFC. In the AFC, I think it's going to be one of three teams. I think it's going to be one of the Bills, the Chiefs, or the Bengals. I I would be really surprised if somebody else ends up getting in. All three of those teams are well-constructed. They have quality coaches. I know, I know, Zach Taylor Love here from BK. It's a surprise to me as well. And they all have, like, legit franchise-caliber quarterbacks. The NFC, man, good luck trying to figure out what to do on that side. There's injury questions. There are legit quarterback questions. There are some teams that have the quarterbacks that don't have a defense. There's other teams like the Cowboys that just aren't playing their best football right now. This is as wide open in the NFC as I can remember it in a while. Yeah, I mean, the only team that I'm still confident in would be the Eagles 
but I still have to sit there and say like, all right, well, Jalen Hurts hasn't played the last couple of games for them. Are they going to be on the same page that they were prior to that? I mean, San Francisco, like I'm confident in San Francisco's defense and their playmakers, but they also have Brock Purdy, a quarterback. Minnesota, I am so out on Minnesota. I, I believe in the Giants more than I believe in the Buccaneers. And then with the C, I mean, let's be honest, the Seahawks, anybody in the seventh place They're had terrible. no chance. So, yeah, this this NFC is not going to be as entertaining or it's going to be as entertaining as you could imagine. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. everything right? is wide open. I was say, I think the NFC is going to be entertaining because to me it feels because it is so open and everybody, though they're not completely healthy. Most of the starting quarterbacks that went into the year are there playing in the playoffs in the first round of the NFC. Minus Brock Purdy, he'll be starting for San Francisco and was the third string for them. Meanwhile, on the AFC side where you got like two quarterbacks out, two is probably out, it sounds it feels like two is going to be out. Lamar sounds like he might play, he hasn't practiced in a month. To me, the AFC is not as interesting in the first round just because of all the quarterback uncertainty. The NFC to me is wide open because I agree with you. I think the only team I trust going into the playoffs is the Philadelphia Eagles. And though Jalen Hurts looked to be kind of hesitant yesterday, that was just to me, in my opinion, because it's this 18th game and we just want to get out of here healthy, make sure we secure that top seed, which they did. So I think they're going to ultimately get back to being themselves. But everybody else, like I look at all these games this weekend and I see a scenario which all the underdogs can end up winning. So I, I think it's going to be extremely Including exciting for the, the NFC. Seahawks? I see a scenario in which the Seahawks That's can win. That's a silly take, man. I, I've heard that. You're silly. I've heard that be called a silly but take. You're a silly what, goose. What is the scenario in which the Seahawks beat the 49ers on the road in the playoffs? <laughs> I, Please I, explain this to I, me. I think that if you're Seattle, I think if you can get some pressure on Brock Purdy, I think you see him get a limp, him struggle in the passing game in a big-time scenario, and then it comes down, can you stop the run? And that is something that Seattle has struggled with in, this season, but I do think that they can play them close. I mean, you look at their last meeting, they lost 21-13 to at home. I, I, I think they can keep the game similar to that, and if you can hold San Francisco to 21 points, I think San, or, excuse me, Seattle has a chance to squeak by San Francisco if that's the case. And, and it's just me. I don't trust Brock Purdy, and I know he's played well in the regular season. I just don't get it's that, a man. Different, it's a different animal once we get to the postseason. But and when you're going into that, with Mr. Irrelevant, I'm sorry, but I don't Gino trust him. you Smith and that offense can score on San Francisco's defense, who has been really good all season long? No, he doesn't. I think they can put up points. Yeah. Oh no, he doesn't. He doesn't That's, believe this. You're a silly goose. I can't wait. You know I, what? I, Mark I was, it down. 11:31 on whatever the hell today is, January 9th. T-Bone is taking the Seahawks to go on the road and take down right. San Francisco. T-Bone's already losing. We got, we got this from the text line, 314-399-9646. Somebody from the 314 says, hey, guys, at some point we've got to stop hating on Brock Purdy. At some point, like, I'm going to amend that text slightly. We have to stop hating on whoever is starting at quarterback for the 49ers. I've said that before. Like, like I don't care who the quarterback matter. is. It doesn't matter. As long as they have a baseline level of competency in that system with that supporting cast where you've got Debo Samuel, who just came back last week. You've got Brandon Ayuk, who has developed into a really nice number two wide receiver. George Kittle, who is on a tear right now. The last three weeks, he's been an absolute monster for the 49ers. And then you add in Elijah Mitchell, who's now back as a backup running back, to Christian McCaffrey, who's been unbelievable the last six weeks of the season. Like, I don't care if you are simply average. And that is what I believe Brock Purdy is. We don't have to make this more than it is. It's not like he's coming out here and throwing for 500 yards every week. No, he's thrown for more than 235 yards once since becoming a starter. He's solid. He's solid, man. Can he go out there and be what Nick Foles was for the Eagles, what, three years ago now? Yeah, he could do that because Nick Foles wasn't very good either. He was in a great situation, and that's what I think they can do. If San Francisco 
had the same offensive roster that the Tennessee Titans had, I'd be saying that why are they even in the playoffs right now? Because Joshua Dobbs, it was very evident that they needed somebody who was a little bit more competent than that. Yeah. But this offense has playmakers at every single position. So Brock Purdy's just got to make the simple plays and let the playmakers do their work. And they've got the best defense in the NFL. Like you, you add in the best defense to, I think you can argue the best group of skill players oh, yeah. in the league as well. At least in the NFC. A very high level offensive line. And then... I mean, up there with Andy Reid, probably the second best offensive mind in football. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take them against the Seahawks team that could barely get it done yesterday against an opponent that wasn't trying. We're we're team, we're ganging up on them. Stop it. All right. Look at him. No, no, he's upset. I'm excited for when I can play the audio next Monday after a great (laughs) Seattle win. Fly. They're not an eagle. Fly bird, fly. (laughs) Fly, bird, fly. Fly, Seahawks, fly. I don't think Seahawks fly. I think Do you think like he's going to bet this game? No, he's not going to bet this game. He doesn't even believe his take that he's yeah, doing no, us right he's looking now. at no, us. I, I, I will he's put down money on this smithing game. us right now. No, no, I'm saying Seattle wins this game. He got to go. Pete Carroll's going to get it done. Straight up. Straight up. Okay. Like, Get out of here, man. You don't believe that. I'm going to go. Hey, I'm if gonna you're go, right, I'm if gonna you're go, right, I'm going to give you so much credit next Monday. Yeah, but if so you're much wrong, credit, we are going to destroy you. Is this when 30? you're on vacation? Is next week your vacation? When, that would be a BK move. When the Seahawks lose by 30, <laughs> I need you to be willing to come on the air right, and say yeah. how wrong you were. Oh, no, right, he's not. Yeah. He's not on vacation yeah. next week. Oh, no, that felt like a week after. And then Alex is out the week after that. out the week after that. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answers. The Air Cover Service text line is 314-399-9646. We'll get to your questions coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, guys, I don't think you're going to like what John Mosaloc had to say yesterday. I did like it. I'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. We'll get to questions and answers coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Alex, yesterday... John Mosaloc was on the Cardinals radio network and he was asked the question that I think is probably going to be on the top of minds of everybody as they head out to uh, winter warm up over the next what it's this weekend, right? Yeah, officially uh, this weekend, I believe 15th, yeah. 16th, 17th. One of the big questions that people are going to be asking of Mo is, hey, you said that the payroll was going up. It technically has. But when you said it going into the offseason, this is not what a lot of fans had in mind. Can you explain that a little bit? How is this where you've ended up where you made one move of any real significance during the offseason? We did have an opportunity to increase payroll, which it will be higher than what we played at last year. So that's, that's fact one. And and number two is, you know, just because you have resources, you're not just going to go spend it wildly on something that you know, doesn't make sense. I mean, we, we, we knew what we had to accomplish this offseason. We went into it with the hopes of doing it. Um, and then as as other things presented itself or, or unfolded, it just didn't get to the point where we were excited enough to, to necessarily do it. And, you know, that might depress people or disappoint people, but my responsibility is to uh, um, adhere to the franchise, adhere to ownership, and, and do what you know, we think is best for, for putting together a winning club. He's not here to make you happy, folks. He's here to make the Cardinals a competitive team. So I'm going to go through 
the big contracts that were signed this offseason, Alex, because the, these are the types of guys I would assume that most Cardinals fans were looking for, and they would say, hey, and didn't really do a whole lot. I wanted one of these guys. I love what he said at the beginning, though. Just <laughs> technically, we are spending more than we spent last year, so that's just a fact. He is right, and we knew that was going to happen, right? That's like, that we way could, no deal. If there was <laughs> any sort of a prediction that we could have made, and I think we did make it, honestly, at the beginning of the offseason, it would be the Cardinals just said they're going to increase payroll. Mo's going to regret making that comment because it is going to end up being a technicality. And while true, yeah. might not live up to what the expectations were from Cardinals fans as a result of this specific quote. Are you kidding me? Mo loves that ish. So, yeah, that that is one that I think he probably regrets putting out there into the ether. All right, hit me with the names. So, let's first give credit. That was uh, the Cardinals Radio Network, John Mosellock, yesterday. Here are the contracts that could have made them spend that crazy money that Mo was referencing. Justin Verlander, two years, $87 million. Would you guys have done this? Just a quick yes or no gut reaction. Absolutely. I wouldn't have. Okay, so that's one out of two. Aaron Judge, nine years, $360 million. No no way in hell. Uh, Jacob deGrom, five years, $185 million. No way in hell. Trey Turner, 11 years, $300 million. No, No, too too long a term. Uh, Carlos Rodon, six years, $162. No, too long a term for me there, too. Yeah, I know BK would have so. done that. No, I don't think no. I would have. That's the first one that I would have said yes to. Xander Bogart, 11 years and $280 no, million. It. I love this play, but 11 <laughs> years, there's no way in hell that's happening. Dansby Swanson, seven years, $177 million. No. no. Uh, Chris Bassett, three years, 63 No. No. And Brandon Nimmo, eight years, one hundred and sixty-two no, million. You were the Brandon Nimmo guy. <laughs> that was, was Brandon That Nimmo. was way too That's long a term nuts. for me. Yeah, no, not doing that one. And finally, the last multi-year contract that got at least twenty million dollars on a per-year basis this offseason. Anthony Rizzo, two years, forty million dollars. He didn't make sense for this lineup. First baseman, no real. But you didn't mention Carlos Correa, man. Uh, yeah, because his contract's technically not official yet. <laughs> I guess right. I'll say no because his leg might be falling off. That's I'm not fine. sure. If you, you want to throw play. others out that made it $18 million per year, Conforto at two years, 18 yes. mil per. Uh, Taiwan Walker, four years, 72. Edwin Diaz, five years, $102 million. No. Jose Abreu, three years, $58 million. Yeah. The reason I bring this those. up, guys, is for a very simple explanation. I didn't want the Cardinals to do that. The one contract, I think there were probably two, two contracts that I would have been in favor of the Cardinals uh, going out there and going ahead and signing. Carlos Rodon at his deal that he ended up getting, and then whatever it is that Carlos Correa ends up getting, to your point, Tanner. But let's be honest, the Cardinals are not going to do what Carlos Correa is going to end up getting. And there are two other teams that if he ends up becoming available for the Cardinals, said that they don't want to pay the big money deals. And we're talking about San Francisco and New York. So realistically speaking, we know how conservative this team is when it comes to injuries. Cardinals ain't going to be playing in those waters either. It's one deal. I think when the offseason opened up, Alex, if I had to guess what the Cardinals thought they were going to do, I think they believed in their heart of hearts. They were going to trade for Sean Murphy. They were going to sign a starting pitcher, probably Jose Quintana. And they were going to sign Dansby Swanson. I think that was their offseason plan going into it. That's pure speculation by me, but kind of listening to Mo now, reading the tea leaves, looking at the reporting from people like Derek Gould, Katie Wu, John Ditton, and others nationally and locally, I think that was their plan. And then they saw what Swanson got. They saw what the asking price was for Murphy. They pivoted to Contreras, and that's how you end up where we are today. 
I think it was a good offseason, given what the alternatives were. I think the other thing with this, too, is John Mozeliak and company looked at it and said the players that are available to us in terms of signing a free agent or making some type of trade is not better than the internal options we believe we have. Not sure. that we believe, less as fans, but what the Cardinals believe they have in these younger players. Trading for Sean Murphy, yeah, probably would have been a great deal. And we've seen Atlanta swoop in and pull that off. But was it... Better than just signing Wilson Contreras where the assets you would have had to give up. They weren't going to get any of those shortstops, despite what we all thought, because they view Tommy Etman as a very good shortstop. And I also the- think that it's twofold, right? Like, I think they probably were in on uh, Dansby Swanson. I-, I think that was real. And then I think that they saw that he was asking for seven years and $26 million per year and said, okay, yeah, well, that's crazy. Well, they're in on, yeah, you're, you're checking in on all of these that make sense. But when you realize what they're asking for, it's just absurd. And then the pitching side of things, as much as we think that somebody would have made sense because they need a top end rotation, John Mozeliak doesn't view it that way. John Mozeliak views it, quote, we have five, six really good options at the starting pitching front and then depth. So... I'm just curious, like, I, I'm asking this honestly. What deal did you want the Cardinals to sign that they didn't sign? Not not you specifically, Alex, but for our audience. If you're mad at the Cardinals right now for not spending more, you, you got to be specific on what did you want them to spend on? Who they, did you want them to sign this offseason? And it can't just be for any contract. Go with the deals that have been signed now. I think what the, did you want them to go out there and do? For me, I wanted them to sign Carlos Rodon. I think he answers your questions at the front end of your pitching staff. I think he is the best pitcher that was available for me, given what the Cardinals are looking for at that term, at that price. I would have done that. But otherwise, if he wasn't an option for them, and I don't know that he was, maybe he just wanted to play for New York, then what? I'm not sure that there was anything else out there reasonably that I wanted them to do that they could have done. I think you did the one move that I wanted them to do, and it was sign Wilson Contreras because it made the most sense in terms of not giving up assets and getting that big bat for your your, uh, everyday lineup. I I think the one move that a lot of people are going to look at in terms of I wish they would have done that is one of the top-end starters. I I think a lot of people look at that because we all said it. You know, if you're going to go into free agency, and I think we had Katie Wu say it to us, you know, I think um, we've seen reporting on it that, you know, the Cardinals were interested in looking for more starting pitching depth. And I think a lot of people looked at that and went, oh, they're going to go out there and they're going to go get a number one, especially when you hear the comment. And again, it comes back to Mo kind of setting himself up into this and saying payroll is going to increase because the original thought there is probably, okay, they're going to go get someone at catcher, and let's say it is Contreras, but then they're also going to increase payroll by going out there and making another big splash. And I, I, I don't think the Cardinals never had, they never had that intention of doing so. I do think they're a little short still in the offseason in their bullpen. I think they're still going to make a move there. But, like, I, I think when you look at what fans want to see, I think it was spend on pitching. And I, they haven't seen that because they look at the rotation. And I think I saw you tweet this out over the weekend, BK, is they look at the rotation here and they see it every day and they go, oh, there's so many injury concerns. We need to go out there and go get somebody. But the Cardinals don't view it that way. The Cardinals say, hey, when this if this rotation's healthy, we're fine. And we don't need to go and spend big bucks for pitchers like Bassett, Walker. Me, those are kind of overpays for guys that are going to be number two threes. And the Cardinals have, have a lot of those guys. Bassett exactly. is Michaelis, who is Montgomery, who is Mats, who is, like, you can keep going down the line. They're, they're all basically the same. Would Chris Bassett have made this team better? Maybe. Maybe he would have. Would he have made the team better to where I would have wanted to invest multiple years at almost $20 million per or at more than $21 million per year? No, I, I wouldn't have. That wouldn't have been something that I would have viewed as good business. Somebody on the text line from the 314 says, guys, there's no reason they couldn't have given Jose Quintana the deal that he ended up getting, though, and he was a guy that they clearly wanted to resign. I, they they I, could have given it to him, but the, when I look at their rotation, 
This is just the honest truth, guys. Like, I loved what Jose Quintana gave to them last year. Is Jose Quintana going to be better this year than what Michaelis, Wayno, Flaherty, Montgomery, or who am I missing? Mats. Is he going to be better this year for sure than any of those five players? I don't know that he's oh, going to be. No, you got the best of Jose Quintana. You squeezed that lemon and got all of the juice out of it. Why spend a two-year contract and give him that money for a guy who was going to be fighting for a fifth rotation spot where you had better options? I, I mean, I agree with you there. I, I think when you look at Quintana, I mean, just look at his baseball reference page. His career has been a bunch of ups and downs, and maybe he did end up finding something. This is how he's going to pitch the rest of his career, but I'm very skeptical of that. I, I look at him and I say, at best, he maybe outperforms one of Matt's or Wainwright, just because I don't know how Wainwright, if he did end up fixing his uh, sure. mechanic issue that ha- plagued him at the end of the year. But I don't I don't think that's enough to where I'd say, you know what, I'll give him two years and bring him back. I, I think you just stick with what you had internally. Yeah, I would rather have what they have currently. Yeah. And if they end up needing a Jose Quintana at the deadline, if any, if this team has proven anything to us over the last two years, is that they can find the next Jose Quintana. And you can get him for a relatively cheap price. They didn't give up a ton of stuff for Jose Quintana at the deadline. This wasn't some like blockbuster deal. They got the guy that had been pitching really well. And we've talked to Eno Saris about this. It's better to bet at the beginning of the season on good stuff. And it's better to bet in season on the guys that have high level control. Why? Because control is hard to be able to gauge year to year as to whether or not it's going to be there at the beginning of the season. Stuff always plays if they can find the control within the season. Then by midseason, you know who has control over their stuff, and that's when you trade for that player. You go out and get them because they're typically cheap, both in terms of the prospect capital and the money that you have to be able to give to them. So I think the Cardinals ended up playing this out correct when it comes to the pitching side of things if they weren't going to be in on Carlos Rodon. I think they should have done that, but that was really the only thing that I can criticize them for fairly because I wouldn't have done these other things that they ended up missing out on. Uh, Looking at the text line here from the 314, but what if this is the new cost of doing business in baseball? Are Cardinals going to keep not liking what they see and failing to sign top free agents? I'm curious your guys' thoughts on this, but to me, if you're going to do the new spending of baseball, it's got to be on the top-end guys. And though Swanson was thrown into that category, as the guy, that's the guy I'm going to pivot on on this text is Swanson. Though Swanson was thrown into that category as being amongst the top free agents, Jim Bodum had him number one. Take that for how you will. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I, he had him number one. He had him ahead of Aaron Judge. That's though. what it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I look at Swanson, I, I think he was like the – he was kind of that – Tier 2A player for me. And if that's the case, I don't want to overspend for him. And and that's why I kind of look at that text and I say, okay, I can understand where you're coming from. They do need to start to operate more in the new model, business model of baseball. But that's got to be for the top tier guys. It cannot be for those middle tier or those kind of borderline top tier guys like what Swanson was, in my opinion. Signing er, signing Dansby Swanson this year is the equivalent of signing Eric Cosmer after he left the Royals. You're paying for leadership. You're paying for a quote-unquote winning player. You're play, paying for a guy who has a good defensive value. Now it's at a more premium position, so that that is an important factor here. But when the Padres ended up signing Eric Cosmer, they did so with the thought that, hey, this is going to be a guy that helps us out of this rebuild. And kind of did, but not because he was a part of the reason why. He just He was the first of many other pieces that they ended up gathering for part of that team. I, I wouldn't have done that. I think that for a team like the Cubs, it makes some sense. He solidifies a spot that could have been a black hole. You have your middle infield set now with him and Horner. 
I, I don't think it made a lot of sense. You would have signed him, then you would have been like uh, the Padres, tried to get rid of him, and you couldn't, and then you're stuck with him and give him away from nothing. I do want to react to the question, though, that the texter asked. We'll get to that on the other side. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have any questions, we'll try to give you some answers. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. Service text line is 314-399-9646. If you guys want to get involved in the show, that is the place to do so. What I've learned is that if I say the Air Comfort Service text line first, it reminds me that it is no longer 65780. If I try to say the number first, I 100% would have said 65780. Yeah, that's not how I work at all. I have to read the number first on post games because otherwise Air Comfort Service text line, it just rolls off the tongue. Uh, Questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. This this sounds like when you've got a girl, Alex, that you're interested in, but she's I not all that wife. interested in you. I know when we were younger. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I know this feeling too. Tanner, you, yeah. you would have been the better person to girl and this too. That's on me. She's yeah. more interested than you are. Why yeah. is it that you have to try to put a label on the blues when you know there's so many factors <sighs> yeah, that can what? change a team over time? Why do you label us? Injuries and roster construction and schedule particularly will change the way that we view this St. Louis Blues roster. Is that the same texture that texted on Friday when I said that the first couple of months of the season weren't a fluke? And they say, how do you know that? How do you know that the first couple of seasons weren't a fluke? It's got to be the same person. Why do you got to label people, BK? Because the front office has to make a determination within the next six weeks on what they label the roster. So it's not just us. The team has to do this. They will be labeled within the NHL as a buyer or a seller by March 3rd. That is the trade deadline. So yeah, you want to label it. You don't want to label it. That's fine. But know that the teams around the league are doing exactly that. The president of hockey operations basically said before this road trip, winning is for winners and having meetings is for losers. The Blues have had multiple meetings this season. I think he put a label on the team at the time that he said that. He's ready for the breakup, man. He's ready to get back out. He's ready to get back out there. the Bolton, I wish I had the Bolton ready. So, Tanner, you asked a question from the text line before we uh, went to break, and I I do want to react to this because I kind of reacted to what you had to say, but I forgot to react to the actual text. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 314, guys, is this, what if this is the new cost of doing business in baseball? Are the Cardinals going to keep not liking what they see and failing to sign the top free agents? And if so, are we going to be stuck as a team that can win the division but can't end up winning anything more meaningful? So this, I think, is the a, a totally fair question to ask. I don't know the answer yet, and I don't know how anybody can know the answer. I think next offseason is when we find out. Because we have now seen over the last couple of years, when the Cardinals believe that they have an internal solution to that problem, they would rather go with that than go sign the high price guy in free agency. Next year, if Jack Flaherty is not the guy that they think he's going to be in 2023, they will have to make a determination of, we don't have an internal option to be a number one starter. 
we have to either go to the trade market or the free agency market to find that guy. Credit to them. In the past, they have been willing to do that on the trade market for the big bats in the middle of the order. They needed a big middle of the order bat. They tried to find that for years. They first started with Jason Hayward. They tried it with Marcelo Zuna. They got Paul Goldschmidt. They got Nolan Arenado. They tried, and they have now succeeded in finding two guys. Can they do that with the starting pitching side of things? Will they do that, whether it be via free agency or the trade market? There are some really good free agents next year, and the trade market may be a guy like Shane Bieber, um, Tyler Glass now. Those guys could potentially become available. There's going to be options, but that's the next big question that they have to answer. I, I think that's fair. I, I think next year's year, you're going to really find out. Are they going to be willing to a, either spend on that free agent? Or I think you're honestly probably going to have an idea by the time we get to the trade deadline, if Flaherty's not that guy, will they be willing to go out there and explore that trade market for one of these top-end pitchers? So I think at the deadline, you might even have an idea if it's going to be one of the trade guys. Because even if it doesn't fall through, or say it doesn't happen, say Shane Bieber's a the guy they're connected to, if they're at least connected to him, then I think they're going to pick up those conversations again in the offseason if something doesn't happen. If we go to the deadline, Flaherty's struggling, and there's no rumors of them being involved in any top-tier pitching guys, then I'm going to be a little skeptical, and then they'll have to prove me wrong by it in the offseason of 2023. But it is something that, to the Texas point, are they going to be stuck winning just the division and nothing in the playoffs? I'd say no to that because, though I do push back on kind of the get hot, get in and just see if you can get hot and go on a run, I think you're seeing that they are a deep team now to where now it's harder to look at them and go, there's a hole, there's a hole, there's a hole. The only hole they might have, in my opinion, going into the year is that top end starting pitcher. And maybe they're lacking one more bullpen piece, but that's why I would push. That's why I would push back on, well, they'll just be stuck winning the division, win nothing in the playoffs. No, I I think they can win the playoffs. And years past, though, there was clearly some holes to where I could say, yeah, it's hard to see them getting hot and going on a run. Alex, final question here for questions and answers from the 636. Is Jimmy Snuggerud a potential star player in the NHL? How has his trajectory changed after what you saw from him in the juniors? Some are saying he's better than Bedard. Who said that? Uh, this guy Alex. right here. Yeah. I would never say that. Connor Bedard is on pace for 212 points this season oh in his God. junior team. So I don't know if anybody's better than Connor Average. Bedard. Average. Um, It's so tough because he's 18 years old and he's only played one season in college. But look, when players perform well at World Juniors, they're on the radar of players who are going to have a significant role in the NHL. Uh, Again, he's got some time to grow. I think Doug talked about this last week. Like you're talking maybe two or three years before this guy's impacting the NHL roster. But what I saw from him in that junior tournament was a guy who plays his size. He's six foot one, 186 pounds, and he's only 18 years old. Uh, he can shove guys off the puck, and he's a power forward, and he's got a scary good shot on the power play from the spot that the Blues are lacking. So I don't know. It's so hard to, to label guys as stars. But what I can say is 18 years old and putting five goals and 13 points up in seven games in the World Juniors tournament that kid's destined for an NHL top six, top nine role. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters, including the biggest storylines coming out of this weekend's game. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, the Blues are doing a great job of picking up points, but it might not be enough given what the Western Conference is doing around them. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrari, 
Jalen Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues aren't picking up enough, up enough points right now. Says who? Says Chris Kerber. Here's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues yesterday, That's prior to the Blues game, on how well the Blues are playing and how so far it hasn't been enough. You go 15 games ago, the Blues were at, they had a record of 11, 14, and 0 going into the game against the New York Islanders on December 6th. You've just played at a clip of four games over 500 since then. You've got a record of 19, 18, and 3, 41 points. You're in sixth place in the Central Division and 11 points out of first place and still out of a playoff spot. It shows you that even as good as they have played, how much better you have to be if you're going to make some noise here. So, Curves makes an interesting point there. Alex, that audio courtesy of the Blues pregame show with Alex Ferrario. It's cut up really well, too. Thanks, Tanner. Yeah, Alex did a great job. Um, Alex, when he what he's going back to there, the last 15 games, that was on December 6th. So we're talking about basically a month of games that have been played. On December 6th, the Blues were three games back, uh, or three points back, rather, of Colorado for the final wild card spot. Colorado had also played three fewer games at that point. So they had three games in hand. So the Blues were back a pretty sizable mm-hmm. margin there. Today, the final wild card spot is held by Edmonton in the in the West. The Blues are now two points back, and they have played the same number of games as Edmonton. So if you want to use Colorado instead, because you go by points percentage, Colorado would technically have that spot instead of Edmonton. Colorado has the same number of points today, with three games in hand. So in essence, in this 15-game stretch, the Blues have picked up three points. <laughs> it's not nothing. It's not. It, it, it is meaningful. And if you look at the West right now and you say to yourself, hey, man, there's just not a whole lot of great teams in this conference, and therefore I believe in the Blues relative to the rest of the conference, I get it. I think there's a case to be made there. But the Blues have played really well, man. I mentioned earlier, you picked up points against the Avs, Preds, uh, Oilers, Flames, Vegas, Toronto, two times, New Jersey, and Minnesota in your last 14 games. It's a really impressive stretch of mm-hmm. hockey. Is it enough? Is it enough for you? Is it enough for them in the standings? I, I mean, it's enough to be competitive because here's the deal. Like, Calgary has been playing much better as of late, but they're a 500 team, essentially. Edmonton Oilers, a 500 team. They're 4-4-2 four, four, and two in their last 10. So the only problem for the Blues is, and why I say it's enough in terms of being competitive, but Colorado's still got three games in hand on you, and they're the same amount of points. Nashville's got three games in hand on you, and they're only one point behind you. So as much as you want to look at this and say, hey, you're picking up points right now and you're finding ways to win, you dug yourself such a hole that you can go on a run. But you got to also now hope that other teams fall into a ditch. And the problem is when you hit this point of the season, it's do or die time for all of these teams. And teams start reeling off games and reeling off victories the same way that you're doing because it's in desperation mode because you don't want to fall behind the eight ball too much. So, yeah, you've picked up points. But like the cliche saying of this season for me has been. Well, this is a big opportunity for you to get out of that hole because we set it on that five-game road trip. We set it on this four-game road trip, and now I'm going to say it on the seven-game homestand. You play Calgary in the next two games. They're sitting three points ahead of you right now. You could be sitting in a top wild card spot after 
Thursday's game against the Calgary Flames. And then you take on the Senators. You've got the Predators. You've got the Coyotes in this homestand. You play a lot of teams that are within striking distance of you in the Western Conference. You keep playing like this, it's absolutely enough. I don't think you're a top three team in the in the Central, but you're a, you're a wild card team if you continue this pace. I also like that they're doing this without O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Absolutely. And the reason why is because I, I think both of these things can be true. I think this can be a situation where they do something similar to what they did with Shattenkirk and what they did with Stasny. Where they say, is this team good enough to go on a run to win the Stanley Cup? No. I don't believe this current roster is good enough to win a cup. I don't think you have the defense to be able to do that, honestly. But... Speak for yourself. One high danger scoring chance last night on 23 shots. Can you make the playoffs? I think this team, even as currently assembled, minus O'Reilly, minus Tarasenko, can still make the playoffs because the West is watered down this year. You don't have the dominant teams that you had. I think last year's Western Conference was way better than this year's version of the Western Conference because of how much teams have changed up over the offseason. So the Blues can end up being a great story where we all left them for dead. And yesterday after the game, Braden Shin told the media, quote, I think you guys all want to write us off. Yeah, you guys do. We're going to keep grinding. That That is where this team succeeds. I don't think that this version of the Blues is great when they are the hunted. When they are hunting, when they are the ones that are coming from behind, I think that's where they play their best hockey. So it, it would not shock me at this point if the Blues end up making the postseason and they could still do that, even if they end up being sellers at the deadline. I, I, I think you're, I, I think you're spot on there. And I think this goes back to our conversation. I think it was last week that we had. You know, how do you, how do you feel about this team? I think it's fair to root for them to get into the playoffs, and also root for them to kind of sell off some pieces as well, because they are kind of in the change or the handing off of the torch, going to the Thomas and Cairo, going with those guys leading the charge for them moving forward, and Saad and Chen taking on kind of that second line role. So I, I, I think in terms of when you talk about. Was this enough? I think it was enough because they're remaining in the float. That was my biggest fear was would they just completely fall out of this by the time you got done with the stretch? And I was worried not. about what we were going to talk about at the end of January, if we're being honest. Like before, when you got back before, from vacation. Spring, yeah. vacation when <laughs> I was before on vacation. spring training, uh, while the Blues are in the midst of what could have been a horrible stretch for them, and then they're just out of it, and we still got a month left before the deadline, Like it could have been a, a real problematic spot in the, in the Blue season for us. For me... I- I want this team to continue to have success because let's just be real. It's fun when this team wins because when they lose, we're all miserable, specifically BK. He's the worst. But I just believe that it would be trying to think of a malfeasance. That's right. That's the right word, right? Malfeasance. Malpractice. No, malfeasance. That's a word. I don't know where you're going. Use Use it in the sentence. (laughs) You're right. Sorry. Let me finish. (laughs) I believe it would be a malfeasance by Doug Armstrong if he does not trade away the players that are unrestricted free agents. Malpractice. You were right there. You had the right mal. All right. Hold on a minute. I'm going to. It's all good. We don't have to get caught up in it. But here, here's the thing. Like, look, you can you can win and put yourself in a wild card spot, but I don't believe you'll be better than Winnipeg or Dallas or Minnesota by the end of the season in terms of competing in a postseason. And I specifically don't believe you'll be better than what Vegas has. But if you're sitting there on, what is it, March 3rd, the trade deadline, mm-hmm. and you hold on to O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Barbashev and know you can't resign any of them, but you're saying, well, we want to see if we can run it back one more time, you're missing out on potentially two first-round draft picks and a second-round pick. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot to people because it's in the 20 to 25 range, but all of those can turn into more cap space in the offseason, which can set you up for a bigger window to win a Stanley Cup the prior years. 
The 618, we'll get out of here on this. Malfeasance, wrongdoing. You guys are jerks. Says, you can make the playoffs without O'Reilly and Vladdy. If that ends up being the case, shouldn't we also be able to make a run if they are on the roster? I think this team is too flawed to be able to go on a Stanley Cup run. And I think the only and I think it's also too flawed to be able to fix that a deadline. I think you need an offseason to fix their problems. I think you need to completely overhaul this defensive core. I think you need some hockey trades potentially to be able to lengthen the lineup a little bit when it comes to your forwards. I don't think the the Blues in 2023, this version of them, I don't think it's salvageable for a Stanley Cup contender. I think you can salvage it to get to the playoffs. I think you can be this year what the Wild were last year where you get in and maybe the team that you're going up against who is the favorite, which was the Blues at the time, maybe give them a little bit of a scare. Maybe you even end up winning the series if something goes wrong for them. I don't think that you can do what the Blues almost did last year against the Avs. I don't think this team has that kind of a run in The, the reason I, I can't look at it that way, BK, is because we saw this team with O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Krug healthy in the lineup, and you know what they did? They were they were overcomplicating things and they weren't playing the brand that they're playing not right now. You play simple without the, the guys that you've been relying on and other guys have the opportunity to step up. The blues are six and one this season without Vladimir Tarasenko in the lineup. Take that as you will, but they're finding ways to win without him. What are they without Ryan O'Reilly now? Pretty good. Pretty good. I think it's like two and one. So like, well, no, it was just this four game road 500. trip. Yeah, three and one, three and one. Okay, so there you go. You're nine and two without those two players on the roster. Vladdy and O'Reilly were the problem all along. I'm kidding. I don't believe that. Hey, at least you didn't say Ivan Barbashev. That's a win for us. I'm making an audiogram of that. He's on the line that has been having the most success lately. Talk about that coming out of all of that. In the one o'clock hour. In 15 minutes, the Cardinals do not sound like they're a team prepared to make a big trade this offseason. Nor do I think they should. I heard the morning show talking about Brian Reynolds again earlier today. We'll talk about him, how it plays into the Cardinals offseason. That's coming up in 15 minutes. But coming up next, is Aaron Rodgers done? This is going to be it. Was that the last time we see him walk you off of the so. field in Lynn Lambeau? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs> some NFL quick hitters big final week in the NFL that may have been the last time that we see Aaron Rodgers either maybe both in a Packers uniform or in the NFL in general Alex I don't know if you were watching the post game stuff but as they were walking on the field Jamison Williams native St. Louis and now Detroit Lions wide receiver formerly of Ohio State and Alabama asked Aaron Rodgers for his jersey Rodgers responded by saying I think I'm going to hold on to this one Alex, do you think that we watched yesterday the final pass that Rodgers ends up throwing in a Packers uniform as an interception? Was that the final one that we're going to remember watching Rodgers in a Packers uniform? No, I don't know how the contract situation stuff plays out, but just no, I don't. I think we do this clown show every single offseason where walks off the field and says, oh, is that the last time we see Aaron Rodgers in a Packers jersey because he's making all these innuendos about not wearing it ever again? He's going to be back. It's like, we do this all the time. Plus, I, I mean, the reason we thought he wasn't going to be back was because the uncertainty of Devontae Adams and feeling like this team never gets competent players on the offensive side. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but watching that game last night, now I know a couple of times they've dropped some passes that they probably should have caught, but 
seems like at least he's got some pretty damn good uh, offensive weapons trending in the right direction. So, no, he'll be back like he is every offseason until he decides to call it a career in the NFL. I, I think he'll come back for one more year. I, I think next year might be the kind of the final ride for Aaron Rodgers. I, I I think he is trying to play up some of the attention to this just a little bit with some of the antics that happened yesterday. But I, I do think next year will be his last year because he's been pretty open about saying, you know, I don't want to play uh, into my 40s too late. Next year he turns 40. So I can see where next year he says, you know what, one final year I'm turning 40. And then it, also it's an easy out for the Packers too looking at his contract, even though he'd be under contract for three years. And he goes one more year, and then he calls it. I'm conflicted, just as I was last year. <laughs> you love Aaron Rodgers, man. You don't yeah, want to see this end. Favorite. Maybe the Chiefs will get him. This was a tough year for him and for the Packers. This this wasn't the same thing as last year, where they had a really good team. This year, they they weren't very good, man. And you're right, Alex. They do have some weapons that are starting to come together. Like, you could see... Christian Watson's going to be awesome. He's He's a really good player. He gets really frustrated with young players around him, though. Aaron Rodgers does. And those damn kids. Like, if you're him and you catch wind that, hey, the New York Jets are interested, would you rather be in Green Bay for another year or the Jets for a year? Who are you going to th- I mean, I guess Garrett Wilson with the Jets. But that's about it. That's I mean, about Elijah it. Elijah Moore is out there. Oh, yeah, I forgot Elijah Moore. I, I don't know. Christian Watson. Brees Hall will be there. They've got a better off. They have a similar offensive line. I, I, I think he ends up, if I had to guess, if he plays, I think he's back with Green Bay. Yeah. It just makes all the sense like, in the world. Unless San Francisco is able to acquire him, he's going to be back with Green Bay. That's the only spot that I could sit there and say Aaron Rodgers would probably say, and, yep, let's go. And if you're Green Bay, just, at this point, don't you just say, no, nah, we'll just hold on to you. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, I yep. mean, what, you have no other, like Jordan Love is not the guy you thought he was, and you're not going to be able to draft a quarterback this offseason. So what else are you going to do? So as we continue with NFL quick hitters, Russell Wilson's actually been pretty decent last few weeks. Well, Credit. of course he's been called out by pretty much everybody in, in NFL. Credit where it's due. He put up 31 points yesterday. He now has 10 total touchdowns in his last four games during the regular season. I think the last two of those came after they fired their head coach. So Broncos country, let's ride. Alex, if you're a prospective head coach who's looking at this Broncos job, did what Russ did in his final four games give you a little bit of excitement about what he could be if he gets the right coaching next year? A little bit because what, what is he? He's 32 years old going He's into next season. A little season? older than little that. Older than He'll that? Be 30, 35. He'll be 35 oh, next year. good God. <laughs> Ooh, never mind then. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the fact that you put up 24 points against the Chiefs and then 31 and then win that game against the Chargers. Their offense looked mostly competent down the stretch. Not good, but I, competent. It still makes me concerned, though, if I'm a head coach because one bad season, I'm gone. Like, I'm not going to be there beyond, like, if we have a bad year and you hire me, we're going to move on to the next one because we're stuck with Russell Wilson. So if I'm a head coach that wants a little bit of of tenure and length, I'm not going to want to go to play with Denver because Russell Wilson is just an eight ball. I I think I kind of lean towards where Alex is coming from because I – I would be still concerned that, you know, even though this was great, I mean, they had nothing to play for. So, like, I I think when you look at Russell Wilson, I think it's – I always view things as more of the – I'm more of the kind of the low side of things. BK likes to view more optimistically and look at the upside. I, uh, I would be concerned because not only if he is the quarterback we saw, like, in the first, what, 15 – or not 15, but 13 weeks of the season – 
then you're then you're looking at a team that's stuck at a bad quarterback situation, and you've got to deal with that for the next. Let's see, he's under contract for my God, that was a bad contract. Five Another more five more years. Yeah. So it's like an awful contract. I, I understand kind of looking at it and going, oh yeah, I saw kind of some of the flashes of Russell Wilson. I, I'm not sure he's that guy. I think he's more of what he was in the first half of the year, and I would be concerned to go take that job. If I'm Sean Payton, I don't want to go somewhere no. and have a bad quarterback situation for five years. No, I want to go somewhere where I have a chance to. Okay, maybe I'm stuck with a bad quarterback for a year, but I, over time I know I'm going to get my guy and not have to sit in just a purgatory with a bad quarterback on a bad contract. If I'm Sean Payton, I'm not touching that situation. But no if way. I'm Sean Payton, I'm only taking seven jobs in the NFL. can only have one, man. I, I know, but there's like seven... Fair point. There's like seven jobs that I would be interested in, and they all have franchise quarterbacks. And at this point in his career, I can't call Russell Wilson that. Maybe Russell Wilson can be a contributing member on a winning team. Can you just again. be Jimmy G for me? Sure. Can, can you yeah, be but a I don't guy think that you scrambles around and makes some G. plays down the field? If you can be that, all right. We, we can maybe make this work. But I don't think you have a good enough roster to just have that from your quarterback. Maybe you not. still have some but work to be done. We've seen how quickly this can turn around. Like we, we've seen t- the the Lions stunk what a year a year ago this time last year basically, and now they're a super fun team that finished the year nine and eight and kept the Packers out of the playoffs. So that that could happen for the Broncos. I could see how they end up getting a little bit better. But uh, the, the the top candidate, Mm-mm. no, no, not interested. If I'm Sean Payton. Anybody below that, I do think that the last month of the season or so did give you a little bit of hope if you're one of the coaches that are looking for a job. Uh, speaking of coaches, Tanner, is your guy Sean McVay going to be gone? I think so, man. Over the weekend, Adam Schefter reported this. Sean McVay's immediate future as the Rams head coach is in limbo. The sources that talked to Mc, uh, Schefter said they believe McVay will take some time after the Seahawks game to determine if he's going to return. He has, quote, gone back and forth on the decision and needs time to get away to process all that has transpired over the last year. Yeah, I think he's You want to cue the Bolton, buddy? No, no, man. We're in a good spot. Oh, yeah. You got a lot of first-round picks yeah. you can use to Who's get Sean back McVay, in this. Who's Sean McVay coaching in 2025? Because it sure as hell ain't going to be the Rams. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be back next year. I think he's done. For now. I think he'll be back like three years from now. If Peyton, I think he's going to do. I think he's going to pull the Gruden, but not as long at ESPN. If Peyton doesn't go to the Cowboys, if they keep Mike McCarthy for one you more. You think he's taking the Rams job? No, 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 no. I'm saying I think McVay goes to Dallas in two years. Oh, so okay. Peyton doesn't take Dallas's job next season because they keep McCarthy. McCarthy stays for one more year, and then when McVay's ready to come he back, to he goes to Dallas. Sean Payton's going to take the Ram shop. What? Oh, no. no God, what? no. He's not that stupid. I go to Denver instead of that. I, I, that, that is a, it's crazy, but I think you're right that no, that's a better crazy. situation. It's not a silly I, comment. I promise you it's, it's spot on. Makes sense. I, I do think McVay is going to step away. I, I mean, when there was a piece out in the off, or not in the, yeah, going into training camp. I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Seth Wickersham of ESPN. Someone wrote a piece on Sean McVay and just kind of like spending, I think it was like a month with him or two weeks with him and just how he kind of, his preparation. I mean, he's just constantly going through it. And if he's raising questions of, whether or not he fully wants to be committed to this, and it's the second year in a row, and we know the grind that coaches go through, then yeah, I think he's going to step away. I think he's going to step away and 
whether it be just out of football for a year and then come back or go do TV for a handful of years before he decides to come back. But I do think this time around he does step away. And when you look at that Rams job, I'm not I'm not sure that's a very appealing job because I think with him stepping away, I think Donald's going to step away. I, I do think Aaron Donald will retire if it Sean McVay like ends up leaving the Rams. status is up in the air, not in terms of retirement, but he might ask for a trade as well. Good if they decide God, to go this the is going to be a rough think, 10 years for you. Stafford, I think Stafford will end up being the quarterback next year. I am very interested to know what what Donald's future holds because if he doesn't retire but he ends up demanding a trade I mean they could get some good assets for Aaron Donald because who wouldn't trade for the best player in football Aaron Donald play him with uh, Chris Jones no they're too cheap man they couldn't even keep Tyreek Hill Bobby Wagner too because I think they're going to look to move (laughs) Bobby Wagner in the (laughs) offseason honestly sure 100% who's he coaching in three years I I think he might be the Chiefs next coach McVay I think it's going to be the Cowboys it makes so much sense man because I don't think because I don't think McCarthy's going to get fired this year yeah, that, I like Peyton's that one. going to go somewhere else, and then Jerry Jones is going to say, let's go get Sean McVay. It's about Seattle. I don't think the Rams would trade him within the division. And he would have Pete Carroll's going point. until he dies. Pete Carroll is I, never backing away. He, he had more energy this year than I think McVay had in coaching. So You know what? You know what would make you know some sense for McVay? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? What? Arizona? No. And it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> Baltimore? Oh, no. Or Pittsburgh? Wow. I was you Chicago. guys are not on the same wavelength. Oh. No, if, we the Bears the end up, if the Bears end up kind of piecing this together around fields, and then they say, well, McVay's available? Yeah, we'll go get McVay. We like him better than he Does he yeah. want to go there, though? That's the question. I think Baltimore and Pittsburgh, because they are so stable, like they, they are, have consistency there, if one of those two coaches decided to walk away at any point. He's from Ohio, so obviously the answer is Cleveland. I don't think he's taking that bleep show. Coming up in about 15 Cincinnati. minutes or so, we're diving into the juncture. Ooh, that's a good one. They like Zach Taylor. Yeah, Zach Taylor's too good of a head coach. He's, and I, he God, wouldn't do he's... that to his friend. Zach Taylor was a part of his coaching journey. <laughs> Never hear about him being a part of that, like, crew, though. Well, that's because you're like, like, yeah. Cliff. It was like a, what was his role? Lord, I think he was McVay. the quarterback coach. Shanahan and uh, McDaniel. All I, five of them are, like, connected at the hip. And then there's Zach Taylor, who's like the black sheep yeah. of the group. Zach, this is why you hate him, isn't it? <laughs> Zach Taylor was, I think, the quarterback's coach. I don't even think he had the title of offensive coordinator. <laughs> and like everybody was like, oh, yeah, he could go to Cincinnati. Everybody was like, well, he's my well, friend. <laughs> Let's hire him. Sean was just like, you can have him. He's not my friend. Go ahead. Coming we're up not in 15 friends. minutes, we're diving into the juncture. But next, the Cardinals do not sound like a team that's prepared to make a big trade. Did they learn the wrong lessons from a past trade? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There are names that have answered about that we're just not going to trade. And, you know, in doing so, it, it, you know, it does, I guess, create some level of, of paralysis and something. And then when you say, well, what are you trading for right now? You know, the, the, the bet we're making is on Wayno, Michael Flaherty, Montgomery, and Matt. And, you know, you got Dakota in the wings. But, like, you know, you're, you're hoping that gets you a lot of innings. Now, I know people are like, well, some of those guys didn't pitch much last year. You know, what are you getting out of Jack? I mean, this, these are decisions that internally, like, we have confidence in and we believe in. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was John Mosaloc on the Cardinals radio network yesterday when asked about, hey, is there there another move coming for the Cardinals, specifically via trade? He made it pretty clear, probably not. I mean, could something present itself that they were surprised by? Maybe, but that did not sound like a man that expects to see a trade anytime in the near future. In other words, hey, Jim Bowden, no. 
<laughs> that was essentially oh, what he that was saying. Reporting there. wasn't spot on. No, no, the Cardinals being interested in a certain player, but don't want it to get out because it would maybe make the, it less likely to take place. Don't, don't think that's going to be happening Sorry, at this point hey. in time. I do find what he said there specifically to be interesting, though. Made a couple of references. First thing that I want to discuss, Alex, is that he said, hey, we're just not trading certain players. I think we know kind of who he's talking about there. The Cardinals do not appear to be interested in trading Lars Newtbar. They do not appear to be interested in trading Dylan Carlson. They are not interested in trading uh, Nolan Gorman. It doesn't seem like, at least. Juanya Pez. Juanya Pez. Um, there's been talk about guys in the minors that are like the higher level prospects, Wynn and Walker. I think those are the players that they they really want to keep around. And Alex, I think there's a lesson that they've learned, and I can't decide if it's a good thing or if they've gone too far in this direction. But when they saw the success that Randy Rosarena had after they traded him, and you now see that, like, I don't even know what you can count on from Matthew Liberatore for this team this year. Like, I, I don't know what his future is here with the Cardinals. But when you look at those two players and the different trajectories that each of them had post that trade, I think the Cardinals are terrified to make another mistake like that again where they let a player walk after not giving him the opportunity to have success here, and they end up going on and becoming exactly the type of player that the Cardinals have been looking for ever since. Yeah, I, I mean, the the curse of Randy Rosarena is still haunting John Mosaloc, and you can tell. And, and this, this season, I think it's more prevalent than years past because you have a lot of guys that are sniffing major league baseball opportunities. I mean, even go as low as Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. And I don't think Mason Wynn's going to see any major league time this year, but they view it maybe in a circumstance where they are forced because of injuries. He's going to get an opportunity, but everyone else, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Alec Burleson, Lars Nupar, keep going down the list. They view this as we, we have been with these guys throughout their ascent in the minor leagues and now is the opportunity for us to cash in on that and see what happens and I also think as much as it's a Rosarena I think it's also because of what the Atlanta Braves had success with last year with their guys coming up from the minor leagues and having immediate impact for their ball club I just think John Mazzalek is looking at it now and saying why trade these guys to go get a piece that might make us better whereas let's just keep all of these options see what they all have and guess what if they all strike and are impactful players, then the trade value is going to rise, and then we can decide who we want to keep and who we want to move. Yeah, I, I think they're just wanting to throw the numbers at it. I, I think they were in a similar spot when they made that Rose Rainer trade. Because remember, at the time, there was a big kind of outfield glut there, too. And that's kind of what they're at now, where you look at the outfield and you go, man, there's like seven guys that you could throw out there. How are you going to get all these guys at bats? I think unlike the last time around where they went, okay, well, we'll just we'll DFA Adoldis Garcia, and they end up, I think, you know, getting dealt. He was dealt to Texas, and then he ended up dealing Randy Rosen in a deal to Tampa Bay. And you look at it, and they got it. They got it wrong essentially. And, and I don't think they want that to happen again. I think they want to say, you know what, we would rather hold on to our pieces, and if we're wrong, we can sell low on those guys rather than trade away a guy that ends up being a star for somebody else. And I'm not saying like Randy Rosarena has become a superstar. He's been a really good player in Tampa Bay. But I, I don't think that's a reason to become hesitant. But I do think that they're wanting to look at it and go, you know what, we've got seven guys. Surely we can get three of them that are going to hit, and they can ultimately end up being our outfield moving forward. I like the words you use there. You said it's not the reason to be hesitant. I think it is the reason to be hesitant. I don't think it's the reason to refuse to trade them. That's fair. Right? You, you pause, but you don't stop. It doesn't mean that you can't trade any of these guys, but you just have to be smart with it. Don't flip. Randy Rosarena, when you are looking for outfielders and it is a 
a, a real question as to what your future outfield looks like for a left-handed pitcher when you don't know what that left-handed pitcher is going to be. He doesn't have a ton of upside, even at the time that they traded for him. All of the reports we heard were, yeah, probably best-case scenario, middle of the rotation starter. Doesn't have great stuff. It's fine. He's got a pretty good curveball. He could probably throw 180 innings for you and give you like a slightly below four ERA. Like I, I asked last year, would you guys sign up for Matthew Libertor to become Steven Matz? Like if he became Steven Matz from what we were expecting last year, would that be a success? At the time, a lot of people said no. I think today the resounding answer would be an absolute yes. 100% you would sign up for that. And so that's where it gets a little tough is, okay, do you trade Randy Rosarena for the right price? Matthew Libertor was not the right price looking back on it. And I think that is the lesson to be learned there. The other thing that Mo mentioned in that uh, quote that we we heard there was, okay, what do you trade for? Even if we were interested in moving some of these guys, who are we going out there to acquire right now? And I think for a lot of Cardinals fans, they would say pitching. Well, you go out there and you get one of the Marlins starters, or you try to you try to shake loose one of the other starters from one of the non-contenders. I, I do think that the Cardinals are playing this the right way, and I think we're kind of on an island here. I think we're all on the same page, if I'm not mistaken. Play it out. See what you have internally first. And the reason why is because, like, let's say that they ended up wanting to go out there and trade with the Marlins. My guess is the Marlins are going to be asking you for Lars Nupar for one of their front-end starters because they need an outfielder. They would specifically like one to be left-handed, and if they can play center field, that would be ideal for them. And they know your town extremely well with Skip being at the helm now. 100%. So let's say it's Nup because I think Skip would probably like to have Nupar down in Miami would be my guess. Are you more... Is it better to have Lars Newtbar on the roster for the first three and a half months of the season to find out what he is in the outfield and to figure out your pitching at the same time? Or is it more valuable to have that starter that you would trade for, let's call it Pablo Lopez, at the front end of your rotation, and now you've kicked, let's say it's Steven Matz, to your bullpen? Which one of those would you rather have at the beginning of the season and then potentially be able to change your direction depending on what happens in the midseason? I would rather have Newt and trade for the starter at the deadline, personally. It's Lars Newtbar. I mean, look at that scenario and ask yourself, which one are you more in trouble in if the best option you have doesn't pan out? If Jack Flaherty doesn't pan out or if Tyler O'Neill doesn't pan out, what spot are you in worse condition in if you trade Lars Newtbar? Because I think without a Pablo Lopez, we just saw it last season. You can make do. And even if you need to, you go out and you make a trade at the deadline to find a guy who could be a four or five. And hell, he might be the starter in a playoff series for you. You don't have Tyler O'Neill and you don't have Lars Newpar. I mean, you're in massive trouble. Now we're talking Nolan Gorman, Juan Pez, Alec Burleson. Like, I just think you're in a worse spot if you don't have Lars Newpar. And again, for me, I don't think Pablo Lopez is the ace you need. I think you need to make a trade for an ace. That's that's the other thing that I think is a, a totally fair question is like, are we overrating what these pitchers are that we haven't seen fail here? Two years ago, he had injury concerns. I, I mean, now he has injury concerns. Same They're, with uh, Bieber. Two years ago, major injury concerns. And, and so, like, I think this happens sometimes, whether it be pitchers or just looking at lineups in St. Louis versus those that are surrounding St. Louis right now. I think sometimes we just don't see the other lineups fail on a night-to-night basis, and so we assume that they're better just by looking at the back of the baseball cards. Guys, the, the, the Cardinals' rotation, while there are real questions, especially health-related, it, it has the upside to be just fine. It has the upside to be a rotation that can work out for them. There are just real questions that the only way to find out what the answers are is to just run it. 
Just see what the season looks like with these five guys in your rotation. And then if if the answers come back and they're on the negative side of things, then you have to adjust on the fly. And that's where we will be critical of Mo and the front office if they decide not to react to that. If they do, though, then everything's fine. So it's just one of those things where it's like it's almost pre-deciding that this is going to go poorly for them as opposed to letting this thing play out and actually finding out what the answers are. And it's like giving somebody an F on a test before they take the test. You can't do that. you got to find out if they're going to fail or not. And the Cardinals kind of have a luxury of time, in my opinion, of, you know what? They can kind of test out all these things. We can see what we have with Lars Newbar in the outfield. We can see what our rotation looks like. Because even if the Cardinals kind of scuffle and they're wrong, say the outfield isn't what they thought, the Lars Newbar's not the guy they thought, Walker's not ready, the pitching ends up breaking, they're going to be fine in the NL Central. Like, there's no team that's going to run away with the division. So they have the luxury of time to where they can kind of see how things play out and they can kind of play more of the longer game of, okay, we think we're built to win the NL Central. Even if we scuffle, we can go make the moves to make us better and go win the NL Central, beat the Brewers or the Cubs, whoever's number two in your mind in the NL Central. We have time to wait and see if our pieces are going to hit. And if our pieces hit, then we can plan for the longer game of, okay, now how do we get to the level of the Braves? Or how do we get to the level of the Padres? How do we try to get ready to go on a World Series run? So I think they kind of have this aspect of time because if they were in the NL East, I, I think there is a little bit of a different story of trying to gamble on so many pieces. But because they're not and they're in the NL Central, I think they can kind of stand pat, let's see what we have, and then we can go fix our holes at the trade deadline. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 10 minutes, we're talking about Ivan Barbashev. I've been on the trade Barbie trade all season long. It's time to hop off. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. If you guys want to get involved in the show, you can do so. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to in or out coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But Alex, what do you have for us today in the junk store? So I, I need your guys' opinion, and I need our text line's opinion, please. It's always a dangerous thing to do. Uh, let's play a game of Am I a Bad Dad? The answer's oh, I, no, man. You're a great dad. Thank you. I I'm appreciate that. Game. I don't want you to answer, Tanner. So Come on, man. my daughter goes to a Parents' Day Out every week for a couple of days and this morning she went back uh following the the christmas break because they're kind of on a school schedule and so i i was driving her there this morning and we were running a little bit behind she has to be dropped off by 8 35 and i'm like oh crap like we pulled in at 8 30 get her out of her car seat put her jacket on and i smell duty I'm like son of a but we're running late and so i gotta get her in there mm-hmm. oh no and so when we start walking in I like looked at her. Did you call the, it a duty? Duty. Yeah. Okay. I was curious. You'll make sure that that was your go to. PG, man. Yeah, you'll Come get on. there, buddy. So I, I looked at her, and you know, of course, my daughter can only like babble words. So, but she understands. And I looked at her and I said, Do I got to change you? She just looked at me, and I'm like, We got to get in there. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, All right, this is a horrible decision by me, but I don't have my wipes. They have her diapers because like we supply the diapers at the beginning of each month. And so I'm like, I just got to drop you off. And they'll be able to change you because of course they're going to change you. They do snacks. 
that I walked out of that room and I'm like, man, these teachers are going to think that I just, I dressed my daughter at home. She had poop and I said, ah, I'll let them do it. So well, I, that is exactly well, what yeah, you did. No, but it happened. But it didn't though. It happened while we were in the car because when matter. we left the house, she was changed. She was clean. It happened in the car. Is there a spot designated inside that you could have gone to to change her prior to handing her over? I mean, there's a bathroom in there, but again, I don't have a diaper bag well, with couldn't me. You, couldn't you ask them? For, you said you supply them with the stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, I could have, but then that's also getting into like, I have to drop her off because they start You're their there. day they, at they 835. Know they yeah. know you're there. Yeah, yeah, but no, they start their day at 835. They have like a schedule that they do things. And so I, I didn't were, want to Were interrupt. they leaving? Were they about to go no, on like a, a no. shopping trip okay, to Okay, so this is, answer, this is I, answering I, my question I, then. I think I've determined my answer. I don't think you're a bad dad. I, I, I might think be he's a bad, bad person. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. No. I think you're a great dad. I think you had the best of intentions. Yeah. No. I also just think you might be a little bit of a scumbag. What? <laughs> <laughs> scumbag. I think I agree with that. But I didn't have the supplies with me. I didn't have a diaper bag. They have all of her diapers, so it's like I would have had to interrupt their day trying to get ready with all of these running around screaming toddlers. You know what you're going to be interrupting their day to do now? But it's in the middle of their day. Like they do diaper changes. Oh, so instead, okay, never mind. Change, changing my tune. You are a bad dad because. No, I still think you're a good dad. Or, what you're saying is you don't mind that your daughter was going to be running around with a dirty diaper for the next however long because did, here's a question. The supplies did you me. notify them? Yeah, I told them when you walked. I told the them. Door. I said I think she's got a duty, and they're like, "All right, we got it." Okay, so oh, no, well, never mind. You didn't say Time that out. At all. You, you are a good dad. You're back to being a good dad again. Yeah, no, you just called person. me a bad one. No, so. and a worse Jerk. person. Because you should have said, hey, I, I'm really sorry. We're running a little bit behind. I just noticed as we walked through the door, I, I think she's got a dirty diaper. I did do say you, that. Do you mind if you didn't oh, do no, the second I didn't, part? See, I, didn't I, offer I think up. This, part, do, this part you should have done. Do you mind if I go ahead and yeah. change it here? You guys have her stuff available. I don't have my diaper bag with me because I, when we left, she was cool. good to go. Cool. I, do you guys mind if I do it here? No, and no, then, man, I get it. I get it. I get it. All right. I, I'm know, the bad person. They I, may have said, they may have said, no, that's all right. We'll go ahead and take care I mean, of it. Have a good day. I, they this did is what say we're here for. when I told them that I think she's got a duty. They're like, we got it. So, I mean, technically, I just didn't get to the opportunity to say, could I borrow the diapers and the wipes how, and go change How did they her? say it exactly? Because, you know, in radio, oh, well, we talk about. They're the, they're the best because they're like, oh, no, 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 don't no, worry about it. We got it. Not yet. Okay, in that scenario, then okay. No, You're no, good. I'm still. Yeah. I'm I feel. Still, I feel like this has been a whirlwind season right now. Like I just I, went on a roller coaster ride of emotions. I'm still getting number one dad coffee cup, but you know. World's biggest comeback look, might be your I, other coffee look, cup. If I would have had the diaper bag and everything with me, I would have probably walked right into that bathroom and changed it. Not probably. No, would I would have. have. No, but I don't because buy that. I had nothing, I didn't want to have to be like, hey, can I borrow the diapers and the wipes and go change my daughter? Even if I would have said that, they would have been like, no, we'll take care of it. But I just felt like a jerk when I dropped her if off. If this and I'm were like, to happen again like tomorrow, poop. what do you do? Probably the polar opposite of what I did today. Walk in and say, can I have a diaper and wipes? I got to go change her. But again, they probably would have told me no because they're incredible at what they do. Shout out to the Parents Day Out family. But that's but okay. That's different. I feel like it's different if you hand it off to them as opposed to you if they generously accept the offer. Let's discuss the part that <laughs> I haven't mentioned. She just needs to hold it until we uh, get to the point no. where she's at the daycare okay. and she can do it then. then so this is on your daughter. This is on her. This is on her for not uh, not holding it. Starting to change my answer about it's being amazing. a good dad. It's amazing when you're a dad, though, because like, no, you could just you could smell it. 
You could just be like, you open up the oh, car yeah. door, like, oh yeah, you pooped. And you just know it immediately. From the 636, why are the two non-dads jump judging the dad for this? Excuse me, sir, or ma'am. Well, you're not there One yet. non-dad. No, you're not there yet, ma'am. Not there yet. We're pregnant. Congrats. Kinda She's counts. pregnant. I can't. I, I get Remember confused. Remember when you on this. did that to me when I said like, "Oh yeah, we're having a baby." Like, no, she's having a baby. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait I, till you're I, in that I, delivery room. You're so having a baby. I'm. I'm reading my books now. Oh yeah. What chapter have you gotten to? Uh, I don't know. I'm like 100 pages in. Um, what have you learned? Discuss with the class. Please keep PG-13 women are, the dumb. Women yeah, are superheroes. <laughs> Yeah. Like absolute superheroes I watched, I watched, for going through that, I watched man. that happen live, and my God, I don't know how she did that. I still can't decide if I'm going to watch. See, that's the thing. I, I think BK would faint. Like, you can, just, you can like, tell yourself you don't want to watch. Like, I did that the first baby, and so I didn't see, like, the bird's eye view of it. But you're going to see it no matter what. Like, what they do in the movies, unless it's a C-section, where they, like, you know, put the blanket over and nobody can see. Oh, yeah, that's not how that works. Oh, it's, really? just, it's bare bones, and you're standing right there. And I'm like, I'm at her head, so I don't have to see it. You're seeing it all go down. It don't matter where you're at. Somebody on the text line. This person might be a worse person than you are. <laughs> From the 618, I dropped both of my sons off with poopy diapers and didn't give one bleep about it. I'll pay them a lot of money per day to make sure that these kids are alive and doing well. They can change a damn diaper when the kid pooped while I was driving. My hey, hey, that individual. That guy's probably worse than you. No way. That individual has, has seen some ish and has been a great dad for super long. He probably just said, you know what? Let them take care of it. Props to you, sir. You're doing your best. He's Alex Ferrari. And by the way, like I, I hope that that person knows I was kidding. I'm not saying you're hey, a bad dad. We're all sure good parents out there. If your kids are breathing and you love them, that's all Heart that matters. Brother, dude. It's, it's and my daughter fire, knows that man. I love her despite her having a poopy diaper when I dropped her off. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of in or out. If you guys have any scenarios, send them in on the Air Comfort Service X line at 314-399-9646. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next... Is Ivan Barbashev's performance that he's had with Saad and Shin enough to change his future here in St. Louis? Nope. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pen. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Ivan Barbashev is getting some buzz, Alex. Why? Because he's on a line that has been performing at an incredibly high level lately. Yeah, the Barbashev line. He, Sod, and Shin, this comes from Jeremy Rutherford, have been, quote, the backbone of a Blues offense that has combined for 17 goals during its four-game road trip. That trio has 16 points, nine goals, seven assists, against Toronto, New Jersey, Montreal, and Minnesota. Here's the thing. While that is technically the numbers for that line... Oh, God, here he is. Well, technically those numbers are correct. Ivan Barbashev has contributed one goal and two assists with that line. Alex, I think Barbie is still the same player today that he was prior to be uniting with that, united with that line. I think the real success from that line has been Sodden Shin. Those guys have raised their games to another level. I, 
I don't think anything has changed from my perspective on what I believe Barbie to be as a player. I think he's a really solid player that I love having at two and a half million dollars. I love having him at that money. I don't think he's the type of player that I want to pay more than $4 million to because his production from last year is what I would have to assume he's going to be moving forward if I'm going to pay him that kind of money. And I just, man, maybe this is me being unfair, but I think that the production this year kind of speaks for itself. I don't know that he is that guy. I think he's more of a 40-point player than a 60-point player. I think he's more of a 10-15 to goal scorer than he is a 25-plus goal scorer. Yeah, I mean, the points don't tell the whole story. And I mean, Ivan Barbashev's forechecking ability and his physical play can create space on the ice, even if he doesn't show but up I would on the score have sheet. Chari to do that stuff than Barbie. Personally. That's that's kind of where I was going to get at with that. I mean, look, the the end of the day, when you're in the position that the Blues are in, you need defensively sound players and guys who are finishers, and that's Brandon Saad and, and Braden Shen. And unfortunately for Ivan Barbashev, he just hasn't had that this season like he had last year. It was a hell of a season for him. He was finishing. And the analytics showed that, like, maybe it was a little too good to be true. I think what we say about Brandon Saad, where, you know, he might be a underqualified second line winger, but an overqualified third line winger. I think that same sentiment can be said about Ivan Barbashev, only it's third and fourth line. I think he's a underqualified third line player and an overqualified fourth line player because you know what you're going to get. He's going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes defensively, offensively. But he's going to be physical every single night. He's going to forecheck hard. He's going to lay the body. And he's going to create offense occasionally. But it's not going to be the, oh, well, this guy's on the score sheet almost every other night picking up 50, 60 points. I think he's exactly what you said. I think he's a 35, 40-point getter in a 82-game schedule. But what he is, he's is a guy you can rely on when injuries pop up. And if you have to put him up in the top six, he's going to make the vanilla ice cream play, as Jamie Rivers says, but he's not going to be the the sexy 25 goal scorer every season. And that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with you that. You need those guys to win Stanley Cups. 100%. You, you need guys like Ivan Barbashev throughout the lineup. But when they get to a certain level in terms of their salary, it does become tougher to be able to fill in the holes around them when you have a salary cap that has become stagnant. That is, it's remained at the same level for three years now, and it sounds like it's going to be doing something pretty similar uh, next year. If this was 2025 and the salary cap was going to go up again by whatever, six, seven million dollars next year, maybe the discussion about Barbie is completely different. If the Blues didn't have a bunch of other guys signed long term for six plus million dollars again, I might be singing a completely different tune on Barbashev. But in this specific situation with this salary cap, I think that he's the type of guy that's going to end up being a cap casualty. And this brings us to a podcast, 32 Thoughts, and what they had to say. Not specifically about Barbashev, but his name does end up coming up in this discussion, Alex. Here is what the 32 Thoughts podcast had to say about a potentially interesting storyline heading into the deadline. I think there's going to be some interesting guys that maybe aren't the headliners. Mm-hmm. Like the guy I really wonder about is Barbashev in, in St. Louis. I just remember how good he was in that playoff run in 2019. And he hasn't been great this year, but that's a guy I'd be looking at. I think that's the other thing here, too, is maybe not who are the headliners, but who are the next level guys teams are going to be chasing after. So you're thinking like the Arturi Lekkonen deal that Colorado made mm-hmm. last year that really put them over, or it's like a, an Andrew Cogliano or something like that. These types of, of, of smaller deals, bringing in players that aren't your necessary headline players. 
So he mentioned Arturi Lekin in there, and I think that's the perfect comp. Now, uh, Andrew Cogliano was a good asset picked up by the Colorado Avalanche also, but Andrew Cogliano the prior season, or the season he was traded to Colorado, was a minus 16 and had four goals and 15 points. He was the prototypical fourth liner, and he only garnered them a fifth-round draft pick in the two years coming draft. But if you look at Arturi Lekkonen, I think that is the perfect comp for Ivan Barbashev. Arturi Lekkonen never had a season over 20 goals, never had a season of 20 goals. But every season, he was a competent defense, defensive forward and a guy who had an offensive ability. That's Ivan Barbashev. Ivan Barbashev just had a 26-goal season. Ivan Barbashev has only had two seasons where he was a minus. Ivan Barbashev has shown the ability to score points in the playoffs. Lekkonen was a second-round draft pick. Barbashev was a second-round draft pick. You know what Lekkonen got got, uh, the Montreal Canadiens? He got him a second-round pick in the 2024 draft, so two years away when they traded him. But he also got a former first-round draft pick in Justin Barron. Ivan Barbashev is a guy, and I know people don't want to see him get traded away, but he might be a guy that's going to be too costly for the St. Louis Blues come free agency. Now, the only difference here is Lekkonen was a restricted free agent, if I'm not mistaken, so he was Colorado's property. The team that's going to be trading for him has an unrestricted free agent. But Ivan Barbashev could garner you a second-round draft pick, or it could get you a piece that could compete for an NHL spot next season, depending on who wants to trade him. So, I know it stinks to get into the spot and see guys that you don't want to be moved, but if I'm Doug Armstrong, regardless of where my team is at, I'm looking at assets for this beyond this season, and Barbashev could be that next step down to O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Barbie's age 24 to 27 season, so four years he played in 229 games, had 117 points. Lekkonen, age 24 to 27, four years, same time span, played in 226 games, so three fewer games than Barbie had 104 points, which is 13 points fewer than Ivan Barbashev. You look at the goals, it's 48 to 48, Alex. They have been essentially the exact same player when it comes to their points production. And if you look at the way that they play when they're out there on the ice as well, it's the physicality, right? That's what Lekkanen, what what kind of was his, they wanted him for that. Mm-hmm. Lekkanen, and I know this can be a misleading stat because nobody tracks them the same way within the individual arenas, but he had 333 hits over that four-year stretch. Barbie has 438. If you look at the blocked shots, it's 128 for Lekin and it's 98 for Barbie. Like a lot of the things that these guys bring to the table are very similar. They can play up and down your lineup depending on what you need on any given night. The reason why we bring this up is once again, going back to the same point of, man, I like Barbashev. I think there's another team that's going to like him more than what I do, given what the Blues needs are and given what their cap situation is. And so for that reason, yeah, the Saad Shin Barbie line has been playing extremely well. If you replaced Barbie with somebody else, if you replaced him with like a neighbors when he's gotten a little bit more playing time, I think or that's s- the hope is neighbors is better than Barbie. Does it end up looking pretty similar? It's possible that it does. And you end up saving a little bit of money there and you get potentially a second round pick in return. Maybe you don't get the prospect because of the RFA status. Um, and maybe teams thought like, it was just a better player in general. Second round pick for Barbashev is one hell of a coup, man, as you get to the deadline. And again, you're you're just you're you're gaining all of these assets to figure out how to retool. And I think that's the that's the position that the Blues are in. Like, yeah, you're gonna hope Jake Neighbors takes that Barbashev role, but guess what? That's the growing pains of adding a twenty one year old to your NHL roster. You have to be okay with that. But NHL experience at that position gives him 
a quicker path to being the everyday player rather than sitting there and saying, well, he's not there yet and put him on the fourth line because we want to keep an Ivan Barbashev. Neighbors never reaches his potential unless he gets those chances. And that might be where Doug Armstrong comes from at the trade deadline of saying, like, we love these guys, but we can't afford $4 million for Ivan Barbashev if that's, if that's what he's asking. And we got Jake Neighbors, who's ready to take that position for this team next year. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, are there coaches that are coaching for their jobs this weekend in the NFL? We'll discuss that along with the rest of the coaching cycle for this year's NFL. We'll do that coming up in about 30 or 15 minutes or so. But next, in or out, you give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are in or out. The Air Cover Service X line 314-399-9646 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys have any scenarios for in or out, we will tell you if we are in or out. You can get them in on the Air Comfort Service X line at 314-399-9646. Alex, in or out, the worst snack from the vending machine is the peanut butter crackers. I think I got to be in on that. I the reason I bring this up, of course, is because Alex just went to the vending machine because I don't know if you guys heard, but his stomach was growling over was the air. Was it that loud? Segment. Was it that loud? <laughs> Look, guys, I got to go grocery shopping. We ran out of bagels. There wasn't a lot of breakfast options this morning. He so came it was back a and said, guys, all I could afford in the vending machine was the peanut butter crackers. Yeah. I only had a dollar and the peanut butter crackers were a dollar. I don't know, man. Beef jerky. I'm not a jerky guy, so that might be uh, up there. But I'm surprised by that, actually. The hell does that mean? I'm surprised you're not a beef jerky guy. Oh, yeah. Why? I mean, you literally you're always said complaining you- about you're out of breath going up the stairs. <laughs> I'll just say what BK was thinking. No, you, the, doesn't have anything. You to do said with you're jerky. going home and getting salami. Salami, jerky, and salami are two very different things, my man. Understood, but they're both a processed version of meat. I, I would. Have I just you had t- fresh salami from Volpe's on the hill? Okay. That is not Touché. a processed <laughs> thing from meat. That is straight from whatever animal salami comes from. Touché. Fair enough. I don't think salami comes from animals. Uh, in I or have out? No idea. Jake By the way, neighbors, I'm in on that. That's a little too crunchy. Jake Neighbors scores at least 45 points next season. In or out, Alex Ferrari? Oh, God, you're just making a massive jump there. Uh, I'm going to say I'm out on that because Same. I think it's a slow play with something like this. I still think that a 20-year-old is going to have to learn the whole ropes of the NHL. I mean, hell, his last season, last year in juniors, he had 45 points. So, yeah, I'm out on this. Yeah, I'm going to be out on this too. I think I think it's going to be a while for Jake Neighbors to get to the 45 points because say three years, three years. So they're taking it to 23. I can see that. I I just hope they don't make the mistake of thinking that's how we can get the that's the production we're going to get from Neighbors going into next year. I wouldn't plan on that. I think if they the view Warriors. Neighbors next year as a third line winger. I think they view him as what Barbashev was this season. The problem is you got to find who's that second line winger for you. Uh, guys, in or out, Joel Hofer will play for the Blues at some point before the end of the season. Oh, I'm in on this. Doug Armstrong's just watching Thomas Grice last night just make save after save after save, and it's thinking, fifth-round draft pick in my back pocket right there. You know what teams would give to have a backup goaltender who at least could come in and play a big game and steal two points for them? A lot of teams need goaltending. So 
I, I think Thomas Grice could be another trade deadline option for the Blues if they really want to go into this retool mold. You don't sign Joel Hofer to a two-year one-way contract extension unless you expect him to back up Bennington next year. He's going to get shots this season. Joel Hofer, for what it's worth, by the way, has been much better this season down in the AHL. Especially for how poor the defense has played at times. Now, both both goalies have the same save percentage. They're both at 921 for their save percentage on the season. So maybe there's something to the, the team in front of them being okay. But uh, Hofer last year was not good when it came to a save percentage um he lost there. the job to Lindgren yeah for well, a while. I mean a lot of it too is I mean Lindgren was just the one that they kept starting and Hofer was getting kind of the backup roles in those NA those AHL games I mean you play it three and four nights so he's getting the the cruddy ones there and, and he's getting the vast majority of their starts he started 23 games and their backup has started 11 so it's like 65 20 uh 35 down Your backup there, so. actually is playing pretty well too yeah. that vadim zarenko he's another goaltending option which is good for the blues uh to answer the question I, i'm in that he's going to get a shot by the end of the year as well i think that they signed him to that two-year one-way contract for a reason i think he's going to be your backup next year and I think the plan is for if and when they end up getting a deal for Thomas Grice trade-wise, Hofer comes up, he helps you out down the stretch. It's not going to start a ton for you because the workload's been massive for Jordan Bennington. But yeah, I think we'll see him at some point before the end of the season. I'd say I'm in on that too because I do think they trade Grice at the deadline. You bring up Hofer, you see what you have. And, and even though he got the two-year one-way contract, if he struggles, then you know, okay, we probably need to wait maybe maybe a little a little more, go get another backup for a one-year mm-hmm. contract. But at least you can see what you have in Joel Hofer, kind of like how right now they're dealing with injuries on the defense. They can see what their defensemen look like that were below their top six originally. Yeah, when you get further, if you get further out of the playoff picture and you decide to trade those last three or four games of the season, that's where you just look at Hofer and say, we got nothing else to play for, so let's see what this kid's got. So this one's interesting. Not because I think that the answer is going to be uh, particularly Barbie's, difficult. Barbie's traded. In or out, the Cardinals will trade Jordan Walker for a starting pitcher. We're all out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's a follow-up. Is there a starting pitcher that you would trade Jordan Walker for? No. Like, if that team called, any starter becomes available, that team calls you and says, we will trade you blank for Jordan Walker. And maybe there has to be more thrown in on the Jordan Walker side, but you're willing to include Walker in a package for blank. Shohei, I think, would be on that list if you add an extension. Sandy Alcantara, I'm trading with Jordan Walker for, I think. I don't know if I would do that with Sandy. Really? I, I think you need Jordan Walker's bat. I think the only guy that I'm trading him for is Shohei. If I know there's an extension there because I'm getting a bat in return. I, I, I would do with Alcantara him. in part because of the contract. Alcantara's contract's a really good deal. He's got like five years left of club control for like $75 million. I get it, but man, they are relying on Jordan Walker to be a big bat. And if you don't have that, I don't know what you got after Arenado and Goldschmidt. I just don't know what Walker is going to be. And I know Sandy Alcantara right now is like one of the five best pitchers in baseball. And see, I would push back on that because like, even though I don't know what Jordan Walker is going to be, if he does become the superstar, we've seen pitchers break and the workload that Alcantara has picked up in the last handful of years would be very concerning moving forward. I mean, I agree when he's healthy, dude's a stud, but every pitcher breaks at some point. I wouldn't have thought that we'd be talking about Jack Flaherty like he was completely broken at this point in his career after that 2019 second half. So Totally fair point. And, Tan- and, so oh. is there anybody for you? You said you wouldn't move him for Shohei if you knew the extension was there? I don't think I'd move him for Shohei because I think that extension is going to be absurd. And at some point, he's going to break as a pitcher. And you're paying him to be both. So in my opinion, you're probably overpaying him Would to just be a bat. Would you trade him for Shane McClanahan? No. 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 
I, I would not I would not move Jordan Walker. Tanner's mantra should be doblehead's in baseball suck and pitchers break. So here's the thing. How yeah. good does Jordan Walker have to be in order Tinder for him profile. to not for Jordan Walker to live up to the hype that you guys just placed upon him, bestowed upon him? How good does he have to be? I mean, and how quickly a, does he have to be that good? Well, I'm not expecting a quickly. I mean, I'm I'm giving him the leniency to get into that prime. Like, I'm not sitting here saying he needs to be the third impact bat this season. But I, I'm, I'm looking at him to be an impact bat like Goldschmidt Arenado is. R. Proper English Ferrari, you dunce. Wow, that was harsh on yourself. Uh, right. I... I would say by year three, if I'm not mistaken, that's about the time Goldie's deal's up, right? I'm just checking here. I think so. Um, Yeah, year three, which will be the year that Goldie's a UFA, 2025. He should be able to fill the shoes of Paul Goldschmidt. Not by winning an MVP, but like I can start to look at his baseball card and go, okay, here's exactly what I'm going to get for Jordan Walker. Going to hit in the middle of my order, and I know what I'm getting from him. I, I think that's how he lives up to that hype and look i know that's like whoa that's some big expectations i mean carl's been hyping him up as the first superstar they've developed since taveras before his unfortunate passing and going back to our pools i get it but the reason why i i'm not even saying you guys are wrong at all i just well, your find tone it is. I, I find it fascinating that we have arrived at a place where like the cardinals biggest need is starting pitcher and we think this team could be really good this year right we all agree with that and we would say no to Shane McClanahan. But see, I think they're going to be good this year Sandy with Walker Alcantara. playing a part of it. That's fair. But if you have Sandy Alcantara at the front end of your rotation, I mean, if I just had, if I flip Alcantara for Walker, and it would have to be probably more than that going one way or the other. I, I don't, this would never happen. None of this would happen. But in a hypothetical world where Alcantara is now your number one starter, where do the Cardinals rank among the World Series favorites? Because they're on the list. What, top three in Major yeah, League Baseball? I'm, I mean, this season, they absolutely are. I probably would be top three. For the next two years, I would say it's you, San Diego. The Mets I, and I the think Braves. Yeah, it's you, the Mets, and the Braves. See, I, my, my fear was, again, this is what I said earlier, where I look at more of the downside of things, where BK's looking more of the upside. The fear would be oh, where so if, pessimistic. If, yeah, you know, I don't want to live longer. <laughs> uh, if Walker, if Walker were to reach his potential and Alcantara starts dealing with injuries as you move along, not only did you trade a potential MVP caliber player, but you also trade him for a guy that's injured a lot and on the IL, and you're not getting what you thought you're getting. So to me, it ends up being where it sounds more of like a lose lose deal for the Cardinals because pitchers end up breaking. I just trust the development of this Cardinals team to find pitchers. I don't trust the development of this Cardinals team to find young superstars. Starting to lean in the other direction, though. Oh, superstars is a fair disclaimer there. Yeah, no. But I, position player wise, superstars like, is what I'm. I think they've done about. a really good job lately of developing the, the the above average to good position player. Man, they've really struggled to develop an ace. Yeah, but if you like got internally, an who was the last guy that they did? Wayno, Carlos, Carlos briefly for a season. You could argue that Jack for a year was that. Yeah, I mean, 2019, he was a Cy Young candidate. Like, come on now. But here's Sandy Alcantara's salaries for the next five years: six, nine, seventeen, seventeen, and then a club option for twenty-one. Look at Jordan Walker's for the yeah. next no, five right. years. If, minimum. <laughs> If Walker is the guy superstar. that he's been hyped to be, he could be one of the most valuable trade assets in all of baseball okay. by the end of, like, not this upcoming year, but 2024. I mean, if he wins Rookie of the Year this season, as Jim Bowden said he almost believes that's going to happen, we should be talking about this team in the same light that we would be talking about if they traded for an A starting pitcher. 
because you didn't expect to have a rookie of the year this season coming into it. And now all of a sudden his bats contributing like um, Harris's was with the Atlanta Braves last year. Coming up in 15 minutes, somebody, by the way, on the text line makes a fair point. Didn't the Cardinals technically develop Alcantara? Part, in, in part. I think some of the credit also needs to go to Miami because he became the pitcher that he is today in the Marlins organization. He was super talented in St. Louis. He still had some developing to do, and he was able to do that at the major league level in Miami in a way that I don't know that he would have been able to here in St. Louis. If he pitched the same way here, he probably would have gone the Memphis shuttle up and down. And so that that is one thing that's really tough with pitchers is they need to go through those growing pains, and it's hard to do that when you're competing every single year. So uh, partially, yes. So they do. The Cardinals do deserve a little bit of credit for that. Coming up next, this is going to be a busy off season for the coaching cycle. There's at least one team that I think made a surprise decision to keep their head coach. There's been a couple others that have decided to move on. We'll talk about the coaching cycle and what it's going to mean in the NFL coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. today that the New Orleans Saints are not going to be joining this year's coaching carousel. They are going to instead keep their current coaching play, coaching uh, staff in place. I mean, why wouldn't you really? They did such a great job this season, given what they had available to them. I'm kidding. Uh, I think they absolutely should have decided to fire uh, their head coach, but they decided not to. So neither here nor there. They will not be a part of this segment. Arizona Denver, Indianapolis, Houston, Carolina. Those are the five job openings that are already officially open. Earlier today, it was announced that Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Ger- Cliff Kingsbury, is not going to be retained as the head coach down in Arizona. Are you Alex, good? we'll f- we'll figure this out. Take two. Out of those five that are available so far, neither Arizona, Denver, Indy, Houston, Carolina. Is there a job that stands out to you that is clearly better than the rest? Oh. God, uh, God, I don't, I don't th- take I don't everything think so. into, into account. Yeah, take into account co- uh, quarterback that is currently in place, ownership because that is a huge part of this for um, for a lot of these head coaches. They want to be aligned with the ownership group, GM if they are currently in place already, roster construction, the division, like all of that is stuff that a coach is going to be considering as they look at these jobs. Is there one that stands out to you out of those five? Is it Indy? Like, part of me wonders if it's Indy. It's a good division to be in. It's a good division to be in. You've got a good roster. I mean, you've got stars on the defensive side. You've got stars on the offensive side. You're lacking a quarterback, but what, you have the fourth overall pick this season? Uh, maybe you can draft one there. Honestly, it feels like it's either Indy or Carolina because Denver, Houston, and I don't even remember what the, the uh, fifth, the other one was. Arizona. All of those are trash, in my opinion. Carolina's the one that I like. Me too. I was going to say, Carolyn, I think Indy would be second for me. But it's I, just I, that fourth overall pick, and if you get a quarterback, I think you got a competitive roster. Well, the other thing for me is BK mentioned ownership. You don't know what Arcee's going to do. Like, we've <laughs> seen that he's willing to pull the plug on whatever and go out and At least do he whatever. he spends money, though. True, but so is Carolina, and Carolina's owner seems a little bit more um, 
what would be the word, com- committed, I guess, to his head coach. Like, I didn't think Matt Rule should have had a chance at this past season to start with the Carolina Panthers because you could tell he was not was not working out. So he's willing to spend money. He's willing to be aggressive. He's kind of tied into the team. So I would say Carolina, and I think that's why you've seen – or that's why you saw them connected to Jim Harbaugh was because – then you can also you got a decent pick nine overall. I could see them trading up to try and go get one of go get one of those quarterbacks even higher up. Especially now if Chicago decides to trade out, I could see Carolina trying to move up there to number one and try and get with Bryce Young at the number one overall pick. Are they getting a? Do they have a new GM? Are they going to stick with the same GM, Carolina? I'm not sure. I would have to look at that because I actually, that would be my like only. Staying. That would be my concern because I don't think he's made the smartest decisions for the roster, at least over the last few years. See, I think they've got decent pieces on the roster. Yeah, but you, but you, you went to Cam Newton. You went to Baker Mayfield. You traded for Sam Darnold. What were the options though? That's well, the problem. I know, but if, like if you're in that spot, like. It just seems like they made awful decisions when it came to that. And that, that's what I would be concerned about if I was a head coach. It's like, yeah, but does my general manager make the right decisions? Yeah, I think they've drafted pretty well, all things considered. That offensive line is in a pretty good spot right now. They have the number eight or number nine overall pick, rather. You're in a terrible division. I think that's maybe the biggest thing here is like, yeah. if Brady ends up leaving the Bucks, which seems very likely, you're in a division that is imminently winnable. And you just saw this year, like they went seven and ten with a terrible quarterback situation. Sam Darnold looked significantly better than all of their other options. He completed, I think it was five passes yesterday, and they still at least had a chance in that game. So I I think that Carolina for me would be the one. But the reason why I wanted to ask this is because all of these options are bad, man. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm Sean Payton, I'm not taking any of these jobs because I can get a better job if it becomes open. And this gets us, us to the question that I think, think is really interesting. As you look at the upcoming wild card weekend, I think there are two coaches that might legitimately be playing for their job if these teams find out that Sean Payton is interested in taking their job. If the Chargers lose this weekend against the Jaguars and I'm the Chargers, I like Brandon Staley personally. I think he makes some super questionable decisions, including what he did yesterday, keeping Mike Williams and Justin Herbert and a bunch of the starters in the game late into the fourth quarter. That was insane, like absolutely insane. And there is no explanation as to why he should have done that. It was just flat out wrong. If they lose against the Jaguars, I would fire him for the right to hire Sean Payton. And I'll give up a first round pick if that's what it takes. That's fine. I think I've got a championship roster potentially with the right coach there. The other one that I'm super interested in Cowboys end up losing if they if they get beat on the road at Tampa Bay against this Bucks team yeah given the way that they finished the season it's okay I understand he won 12 games Mike McCarthy you got to go we're going to go ahead and do what we've wanted to do now for, for five years and go ahead and hire Sean Payton those are the two for me I don't know if they can hire Sean Payton in this scenario but I think the t- uh, Tampa Bay uh, with their head coach Todd Bowles is going to be playing for your career be- or your uh, job I-, I don't think he's been great this season in Bruce Arian stepping away last year, and I think that team has too many great players on it to be this bad. It's a fair point. I think he might be gone either way, especially if Tom Brady unless leading. they go on a run. Like you, you got to get yourself a competent head coach, maybe to try and keep Tom Brady. But if that if that ship has sailed, then bring in somebody who you can go get a competent quarterback and make that team effective because it is too damn good to be this bad. I I agree with I I agree with both of you because I think the Tampa Bay job should open up because I I don't think Todd Bowles is a good head coach. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. I don't think he's a good head coach, but I I think Dallas is definitely the one where you look at them they just every year they go into the playoffs and you go 
you look at their record and go, man, that seems like a pretty good team, and they find a way to lose. I mean, last year it was a failed, what was it, a failed spike. They didn't get up to the line or something like that, to where they didn't know they had to get the ball to one of the re- to the referee. That that's a mistake that the coaching staff shouldn't shouldn't have happened. So I look at them. I agree with the Chargers because I mean they've got one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, and each year they fail to kind of live up to expectations. And I know they're in the playoffs now, and that kind of gets to the expectation. That was probably their goal going in the year. They should be better than 10-7 and seven when I look at that roster. So I think both those teams. The thing for Tampa Bay for me, though, would be, you know, it goes back to Tom Brady. Is Tom Brady going to be there? And even if he is there, how compelling of the job is that for Sean Payton? I know he's working with Tom Brady, but it's not the same Tom Brady. Take Sean Payton out of the mix, though. Like, if you're, if you're Tampa Bay and Brady decides to walk, I'm probably not bringing back Todd Bowles. No. Just because no. I'm, I'm not sure that he's... A difference maker I'm for me. I'm first finding my quarterback, and then I'm finding the right head coach for that quarterback. Yeah, and, and I like if you're Tampa, I would consider hiring Jim Harbaugh. Like, I that's I, a really good one. I didn't even think of that. You know, I I, I would go ahead and let him develop his culture in Tampa Bay. I think that's going to be a rebuild. I think that's a team that probably needs like a retool. Maybe is the better way to phrase it. I think they need a year or two to get back on their get their sea legs back with a new quarterback, but. If you put Jim Harbaugh there or somebody else, I don't know who the name specifically would be. I think you could be better than what they have currently with Todd Bowles there. Um, if you were Sean Payton and Dallas and the Chargers both lose this weekend and they both become available, which job would you prefer? Let's assume money's the same. You'd be totally cool living in Dallas or L.A. Which of those jobs would you rather have? The Chargers with Justin Herbert or Dallas with Dak Prescott? Both divisions are tough. I think it would be the Chargers because Herbert's younger and and the better quarterback. I I think Dallas has more weapons, especially when you look at the defensive side and for how young some of those superstars are and Parsons and Diggs. But I I would say the Chargers because the main thing is you're going to build around the quarterback and you got a quarterback that's going to be there for some time. I, I would go Chargers too because, and I know that Patrick Mahomes is in that division and that's a tough division, but I, I look at Justin Herbert and it's not often you're going to get to go to a new place with a new head coach or go in as a new head coach and have arguably a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I think even though it would be tough with Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, every year you've got him under center. It's kind of like what Joe Burrow said yesterday. You know, every year I'm here, we're we're in contention for a Super Bowl. I think you put Sean Payton in that situation with the Chargers and he's got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Every year they'll be able to compete with the Chiefs and not just the Chiefs, but be able to compete for the AFC title and a shot at the Super Bowl. Coaching the Dallas Cowboys is different than coaching anywhere else. And having the ability to be the first coach to go to the conference championship game in Dallas in almost 30 years, that's a little different than being the coach that leads the Chargers, who nobody cares about in L.A., and is the second best team in your own city. And let's be honest, they're closer to like the 10th most popular team in the city of Los Angeles. The Kings are more important than the Chargers. I I agree with you guys. I would rather coach Justin Herbert if I'm Sean Payton than Dak Prescott. I think he's a better player. And you get the dedication from Jerry Jones. I mean, look how long he's stuck with Jason Garrett in Dallas. I mean... If if you end up making turning this team into a Super Bowl contender, and they're already good, man, they're twelve and five right now. That defense is set up. Like if you turn this thing into a Super Bowl contender, he might be a Hall of Famer. He might be a guy that is remembered and goes down as one of the most like revered coach of the two thousands. I mean, if you win in Dallas 
That just comes with a little different level of Q rating. They're on TV on national spotlight games for a reason every week. And honestly, get the better division or the easier division too. And, and this week, yeah, you don't have to go up against Patrick Mahomes twice a year and try to win the division in the division that Patrick Mahomes is dominating. Oh, I was thinking Russell Wilson. You look at Monday night. God. You look at Monday night. Why are the Cowboys on national television this week? Because it's the Cowboys. It's the bleeping Cowboys. Everybody watches them. So if I'm Sean Payton, that's where I want to go, man. Yeah, makes sense. I want to go where it matters the most. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So there's been a bunch of different reports out there on what's going on with Lamar Jackson. We'll finish things up today on this. Ian Rappaport has said this, quote, his knee is still not quite right. Harbaugh, though, said that he's confident that Lamar will be back. Lamar has told people he thinks he's going to be back, and other people who have watched him are, quote, not so sure about that. All of that was from Ian Rappaport in one interview on the Pat McAfee show a little bit earlier today. When asked about Lamar Jackson's status, Ravens coach Sean Harbaugh said, quote, I don't really have an update for him right now. He added, he wants to play. I love Lamar. I always have and always will. He's been working super hard. Do we think that Lamar Jackson's going to play this weekend, guys? I think he will because Baltimore's only shot at winning is Lamar Jackson. And I mean... You know, a 75% Lamar Jackson's better than a no Lamar Jackson. I don't know. So I guess I should have framed it this way. I think if Baltimore has the decision, they will. If Lamar's got the decision, I think he says no. Because I mean, you're going it, into a big offseason. It's ultimately his determination as to whether or not he's he's going to play. Yeah. Like then he can I'd always say no. say no. I mean, if you're, if you're Lamar, one, the team hasn't forked over the money that you've been wanting from them. And two, do you really want to risk yourself getting more injured going into an offseason where you again are wanting to get paid? So no. Yeah, I I, I don't think he's going to play this week because this whole situation has felt bizarre. I mean, they were talking about it last night before all these reports came out and they were saying, well, what's the status of Lamar Jackson? Well, the Ravens don't know. Well, that that just feels a bit odd. You're like his typically, team, right? typically you hear teams like with two. You know, the Dolphins been saying, well, you know, he's he's not out. He's still got a clear concussion protocol. The Ravens seem to have like no idea what his status is. So I think it is Lamar's decision. And since Lamar hasn't been paid, and if he doesn't feel 100, percent I think he's going to go kind of it's different scenario because this is the playoff. But I do think he'll sit out. Was kind of what Chase Young did earlier this year. Chase Young, it sounded like the Commanders thought he was going to be ready three weeks prior to when he ended up playing. And Chase Young kept saying, no, no, I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm not 100. percent So. I'm going to lean towards no. I, I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to end up playing this weekend. The game shouldn't be taking place if Lamar Jackson's not Man, playing. It's such a terrible game. That one and then with Tua probably not playing, I would imagine, for um, the Dolphins as well. It, yeah. It's just brutal. I mean... The other thing that's weird, man, last year they were 8-3, and three, finished the year 8-9 and nine because Lamar got hurt down the stretch. This year the um, the Ravens started 7-3, and three, and they're now 10-7 and seven because Lamar got hurt down the stretch. There will come a point in time when the Ravens have to say, especially given how much money he's going to command on the open market, like, hey, man, we got to go our separate ways. 
You know, I, and I, would, I be, would do it when you could trade them and get value rather than wait until now. teams say, like this, yeah. the, the time is now. This offseason is the time when the Ravens would ultimately have to make that determination of, hey, we, it's time for us to go ahead and we, we did what we could. It was a super successful marriage while it lasted, and now it's maybe best for both of us to go our separate ways. If they just, I love Lamar. I think he's a really good player. I, I would want to trade for him if it was my favorite team getting the opportunity to do so. But. If they've already made the decision that, yeah, you know what, it might be best for us to trade him. Is it better trade value if you don't play him this week so that you can sit there and be like, look, he was injured, but you know what Lamar Jackson is rather than him come back. If you're another team, like if you want Lamar Jackson, I'm getting Lamar Jackson. I guess that's true. So it would be interesting to see what the updates are on that. We'll be paying attention to it all week long right here on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.